the mental side of the game obviously is is huge from from your path and your journey and the process that you're going through as a as a young player or turning pro whatever the case is and then even within games and in between games and and how you prepare yourself and how you prepare yourself before a game how you prepare yourself um shift to shift and and being able to focus and let go of certain things and and all of those things i i i i can't um even <laughs> i have a tough time putting into words how important it is but um i think the best athletes in the world are also uh, not just the physical attributes that come along with it but they have the mental toughness and capacity to to um to take on all those things and if you don't have that it, it's a tough go and and um you know so it's something that you can continuously work on and improve upon as a as a as a person and as a player i think that was nolan pratt the assistant coach of the colorado avalanche and a two-time stanley cup champion as a player and 600 game nhler and you're listening to the up my hockey podcast with jason padolan Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there. Either welcome to the podcast or welcome back to the podcast. My name is Jason Padolan, the host of Up My Hockey, and today it's episode 52, and we're talking to Nolan Pratt. Nolan Pratt is the assistant coach for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, He's been working with Jared Bednar for a few years now, and he's responsible for the defensive core and also for the penalty killing. Uh, units that go out on the ice, which is currently leading the NHL in percentage and has been in the top five the last few years in a row. Uh, Nolan takes great pride in in that uh, in his pe- penalty kill and the people that he has on it. And obviously, what a honor and a privilege and a responsibility uh, to be leading a team like the Colorado Avalanche and the stars that they have there, not only on uh, offense in the Nathan McKinnons and Ratnans and and Landis Coggs, uh, but also on the back end with Kale McCarr and Gerard and and uh, these these other players that they that they have. It's a really fun team to watch, and it was great to chat with Nolan here today about uh, not only the team now and and what it's like working with some of these players, but also his own career, which uh, was super uh, amazing in his own right. Two Stanley Cup championships, uh, one with Colorado. Uh, in, in 2001, and also one with the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2004. Uh, over a, almost a 600-game NHL career, spanning nine seasons, uh, originally drafted by the Hartford Whalers. Uh, he played his junior hockey, Nolan did, in Portland, got drafted by the Hartford Whalers in the fifth round, uh, went on to play with Hartford, uh, was a part of their transition into Carolina, uh, ended up getting traded to Tampa Bay, or to Colorado first, then to Tampa Bay, and then ended his career with uh, with the Sabres as far as from the NHL side, and he went on to play in the KHL. We never got into the KHL. Uh, we spoke for almost two hours. I, I love talking to guys about the KHL because it's such a interesting world, um, 
and a lot of people have some pretty crazy stories from their time over there. Uh, we never got into that. We did get into everything else, um, pretty much. Uh, even our time together in Sherwood Park, where it was the first time that I met uh, Nolan. He had come down a year earlier from Fort McMurray. They'd moved to Sherwood Park for hockey. Uh, my family and I decided to move to Sherwood Park for hockey. Uh, that was the first year Bantam for me. Nolan was a second year Bantam. And we had a phenomenal team that year. Uh, Noel and I talk about it here in this episode. Uh, like Damon Lankow, <clears throat> excuse me, Damon Lankow was on that team. Scott Lankow, um, his bro- older brother, who was a goalie, who went on to play in the NHL, was on that team. Um, myself, Nolan, uh, Mike Dubinsky, who was a third rounder. We ended up having like 14 or 15 players from a Bantam team playing the WHL. Uh, we also had, I think, six or seven uh, that were drafted to the NHL. Uh, Damon was a first rounder. I was a second rounder. Scott Lankow was a second rounder. Brad Symes uh, was a fourth rounder, I think. Mike Dubinsky was a third rounder. Nolan was a fifth rounder. Like pretty crazy stuff from a Bantam team. We didn't lose a game until, I believe, February of that season. Um, we lost to Toronto, Kevin Weeks actually team, uh, Toronto came in, we lost by one, I think in the final there. And, uh, and then we ended up not getting out of, uh, not winning our division in the playoffs. We had two losses all year and they were uh, one in the final and one in the, one in the playoffs. But anyways, neither here nor there. It's amazing that we like to reminisce though about that team. It was a, it was a really great squad and a lot of us are still friends to this day. So Anyways, Nolan was great enough to come on. Um, another uh, NHL assistant coach, like super cool. The quality of guests we're getting here on Up My Hockey. Um, and we get into it all here. So without further ado, I bring you the assistant coach of the Colorado Avalanche, Mr. Nolan Pratt, a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Cheers. All right, we are live. Uh, we're live on Facebook and we're live on YouTube. And I am super thankful to be sitting here for episode 52 with my gosh. Now, I don't even want to do the math on it, Pratter, but however many years ago we were actually teammates in Sherwood Park. But um, that's where you and I first came across the Sherwood Park Flyers as Bantams. And now you're all the way Stanley Cup champion and assistant coach of the Colorado Avalanche. And just wanted to thank you for joining us here today and up my hockey. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. I think it's we're pushing right around 30 years, I think, since we last played together. So uh, played against each other plenty uh, throughout the years, but uh, I'm excited to, to have a chat with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know what? And now I just, I mean, the math wasn't that hard because it was 1990. It was a 1991 season in Sherwood Park because I was 14. I just remember that because it was such a big, not only was that a big move for me uh, for a lot of personal levels, but what was super crystallizing for me was that 14 years old in Alberta and I was allowed to drive a car, so yeah. uh, which we could not do in BC. So me making that move across the border, I remember I was 14 and I could drive a car and this was big time. So I totally yeah. remember. And that was obviously put me at 1990. So um, 30 years, man. Holy smokes. Coming up on 31. That is wild. Um, I want to touch on that, actually, because... Um, coaches, when they get into the positions that they're in right now, sometimes their playing career gets forgotten about, you know, and, and especially for the players that even that are playing underneath you right now, they don't probably know what type of player you were or do much research on what you were all about. And I think that's an interesting place to, to go revisit, revisit, because there are a lot of listeners here on up my hockey that are going through this minor hockey process right now. And there's a lot of parents wondering about, you know, what's the right route to go and the right thing for my kid. And, 
everyone has such a different path, as you know, and and you and I are no exception. I mean, your path and my path were, were quite different and they ended up in different spots. Uh, but what type of, uh, like taking us back to Sherwood Park and, and even maybe before that Bantam Flyers um, team, but what type of a player were you in minor hockey and when did you have the aspirations of maybe turning this into a job for yourself at one day? Geez, you know, it's a tough, uh, tough question because you, you look back and you look at that team and, um, you know, keep in mind, I think I moved to Sherwood Park maybe one year before you and my family picked Sherwood Park for their, their youth hockey program. So, you know, it was, it was part of the move for us, but um, so you come in there and I came from small town, Fort McMurray and maybe kind of thought I was hot stuff there. And then you get to Edmonton and it's like, whoa, everyone's pretty good here. So um you know as a young kid i was i thought i was paul coffee and that's who i wanted to be as a kid and and um sorry about that no um so it was um you know that's how my career or as a young kid that's what i thought i was gonna be i thought i was gonna be paul coffee and everyone had big <laughs> dreams and and you know the reality of it is it was, wasn't very close so uh completely different path as a player and, and probably skill set and obviously everyone that remembers Paul knows his skating ability and his offensive talent that he had I didn't have that so I had to find another another way to to make it now um you know it was always a dream of mine and I think a lot of people uh can always say that they you know I, I want to play in the NHL my dreams to play in the NHL and and to be honest with you um, when I was 14, 15, 16, I really started to, you know, really think that it's something that I could do. And, and, you know, that seems awfully young, obviously, but, um, you know, you go on from there and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but then you get drafted and all of a sudden the team's not going to sign you sort of thing. So, um, it's a, it's a long, it's a long process and, and, um, there's a lot of hours and a lot of work and, and don't forget that more than anything, a lot of fun that has to go along with it to, to have that success. So, uh, I'll kind of give you a roundabout answer there for you. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I appreciate it. No, where I was kind of going at it was sometimes it's easy to project the spotlight on the star at that age or the stars, right? Um, our team had quite a few stars, that Bantam Flyer team. And just for, for those listening, like, I mean, I, I've never done the research on it, nor do I know this conclusively, but I, I honestly think it might be one of the best Bantam teams to ever be assembled. That's just like from a, not an all-star scenario, just from a local association. You know, we ended up having, I think 14 of our players ended up being like listed to WHL teams. Almost that many went on to play in the WHL. We had six or seven guys drafted to the NHL. Yeah. I think five or six of us played in the NHL. Like, I mean, that's crazy from a, from a small town association. So, I mean, our team was, was pretty hot and, um, and our numbers showed it with our win loss column. But in saying that, you know I mean, and you were a hell of a player, don't get me wrong, but you weren't necessarily a star in that league or in, or on that team, you know? And, uh, can you talk us through that? If you agree with me, you know what I mean? On where you kind of like your place there and then how that grew into somebody that you had a belief system that you could, you know, you could one day make it to the NHL. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I ever, you know, I never thought of myself in that light anyhow. Like I never thought I was a star. I, I felt like I was a good hockey player, but when you look at the team that we had there and, and yourself included, but we had the Lancow brothers and, you know, first round picks, second round picks. Uh, Brad Symes was a third round pick, I think. And I mean, this is a couple of years down the road, but it kind of gives you an idea of the talent that was there. And, and not only that, 
the NHL talent, but the talent that went on to have really successful and uh, careers at the WHL level as well. So, um, you know, I just was sort of, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is I had so much fun playing and, and the year prior to that, I played Bantam single A in Shored Park and, and it was one of the most fun years I had playing hockey in my, in my career. And I'll always go back to that group of guys that I, that I played with there. And it was my first year in Shored Park. And, and so, um, you know, I just always wanted to play the game. I loved being around the arena. I loved being at practice and, and obviously thrilled to play games. And I think that is something that, you know, the love for the game has always been with me. And, um, I've always kind of had a little chip on my shoulder that if someone told me that, hey, you're not good enough or you can't do it, which happened to me kind of repeatedly throughout my junior career and even into pro, um, I just took it as a challenge, even as a young kid, I wanted to sort of be, you know, no, you can't tell me I can't play on the Shore Park Flyers. Like that was my goal and I was going to do it. And, and, and so mindset from a young age and I know most 14 year olds I'm not saying that I was sitting there you know had it all figured out at 14 because I certainly didn't um but I just you know enjoyed the game and always wanted to prove people sort of wrong that um you know I, I'll be okay so right yeah you uh you mentioned the, the rounds there I mean that's I never really thought of it that way but yeah Lanx was like top 10 first rounder um, his brother was a second rounder. I was a second rounder. Simesy was a third rounder. Mike Dubinsky was a third rounder. Yourself was a yeah. fifth rounder. I mean, this is to the NHL draft from a Bantam team. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. crazy. It's um, incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah. I remember rolling in. It's funny you guys did that, too. So you came from Fort Mac um, kind of chasing your hockey dreams, which is an amazing commitment from a, from a family. And, you know, my mom and dad did the exact same thing. And um, maybe even to the nth level being that like my dad had his work in, in Vernon and couldn't leave. My mom came with me to Sherwood park and like dad would drive back and forth on the weekends to like, you know, see his family. And, uh, and we made that move strictly for hockey. And I remember, I remember like the first weekend of, of tryouts because, uh, you know, like you said, you, you came from Fort McMurray, smaller town. I came from Vernon, smaller town, kind of lit up BC as a peewee, right? And then came into yeah. uh, to Sherwood Park and was like, I, mean, I knew it was going to be a good team. But I remember leaving that ice the first weekend and I said to my dad, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make this team. Like, that's how good yeah. everyone felt, right? I was like, holy yeah. smokes, like here we are in Alberta. I might not even make the team. Um, anyways, obviously we, we didn't end the way we wanted, but that year was a heck of a lot of fun too. Success always, um, you know, leads fond memories. And I know you you experienced that now as a as a player and, and as a coach with, with, your, uh, with your championships. But... When did you, I want to take it back to you saying people tell, told you that you weren't good enough. Like when did you first experience that or what's your first memory of someone telling you that? Well, I think um, my first year in Sherwood Park, I, you know, my sort of age group and sort of peers that I was going to school with were all ended up on the double A or sing or triple A team there in, in Sherwood Park. And, um, you know, I was cut from triple A, cut from double A and ended up on the single A team. And, and, um, you know, that was the first time as 14 that I'd ever actually been cut from a team. Now, like we just touched on and, and alluded to, it's not right. So uh, coming from Fort McMurray, we didn't have so many teams and we didn't have the, I guess, the talent pool uh, that the bigger cities had. But um, so it was my first time that I was ever cut and it, it, it hit me hard initially. Um, you know, I was kind of like, whoa, hang on. I thought I'd be here. And and then it Great. turned out a lot of my friends were kind of on these other teams initially and obviously made some great uh, friends there on the other team. 
so that was the first time, um, you know, and then I was cut from the Sherwood Park Crusaders and I was on the way of getting cut from the midget chain. I don't know what they call that team now, but the chain gang in, in Sherwood Park and uh, ended up playing tier two junior, um, you know, after being cut from Portland Winterhawks prior to that. So it was, you know, it happens and, and um, you know, there's stumbles along the way for everybody, but um, it never really deterred me. I just kind of always thought I'd figure it out along the way. Well, I think you probably you already answered the question of how, how you become resilient and, and resilient and persevere. And that's having a love for the game, right? Like everyone that I've talked to on this show, you I mean, we're 52 episodes in now, like the, the stories are phenomenal, you know, like of, yeah, the resilience. Like Kevin Sawyer always comes to mind for me, like cut from three different junior A teams at 18 years old, like his NHL draft year, he couldn't find a place to play junior A hockey, not even the WHL, you know, and like, but he just wanted to play and he just wanted to play. And then he showed up and he ends up making the Spokane Chiefs. And then two years later, he signs an NHL deal and he's got an NHL jersey on. Like, I mean, a lot of guys would have quit. If you didn't love it, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have, you know, he stayed with it. Right. I know your, your story isn't, isn't to, to that extreme, but you got to love it. Right. To go through some of those bumps. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I think, um, you know, everyone has their own path and I know it's easy. I find like, I've got a younger daughter that's going to university next year. She plays field hockey and um, it's kind of a little bit of the same, you know, she was, you know, told that she probably should not maybe set her sights on division one field hockey. And, and so she's kind of carried that sort of little chip to prove people wrong as well. But my, point with it all is, is there, there's so many different paths and I feel like you know I'm in it now with my kids and in, in youth sports and high school sports middle school sports and um, everyone's got to do this you got to do it this way you got to do it this way you got to make don't miss this you got to make sure you're here for that and and you know there's so many different paths you take and everyone develops at their own pace and and the biggest thing for me is just you know truly enjoying what you're doing if you're not is probably not going to last for you. And, and, you know, so um, that'd be the biggest thing for me is that, you know, my parents supported me. They never drove me to a point where I felt like it was a, a reformery or I was doing it for somebody else. It was always, they provided me the opportunity to have fun and enjoy the game. And, and I think that's probably a big part of my um, lasting NHL career as a player and as a coach. There's an interesting point. Maybe we'll, we'll just touch on it for a second because you are a, a father now yourself of, of aspiring athletes uh, and, the, and the, the debate or the discussion w will continue and maybe more so now, but about like what is too much and what is not enough and how much should parents be involved in that process with, the, with their athlete. Um, is, has that been a balance that you've tried to find one way or the other with, uh, with your daughters? I think so. Um, I... You know, I coach professional, so I have a habit of wanting to push guys or, or, or be as honest as you can with, with your players and, and, and critique things. And I have to catch myself with my kids to make sure that I'm a father, too, at the same time. And, um, you know, I think there is a fine line. And I think, um, you know, I've always tried to just kind of sit back and, 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 and watch and enjoy the moments of being a parent and enjoy the moments of, of watching my kids compete or play or practice or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I've always, and, and I'm not saying that I haven't <laughs> probably crossed the line a few times because everybody wants the best for your kids and you try to find a way to help and push them in, into certain areas. But um, 
you know, uh, the perfect example would be my daughter swam. Um, she was a swimmer and, and quite good. Um, you know, she, when we were living in Massachusetts, I think she finished third in, in state finals and breaststroke one year and, and she was, she was good. And, um, my family has a whole history of swimming. My, my nieces and nephews, my brother and his wife, and, um, they're swimming at the international level as well. And so I kind of was trying to get her into swimming, but there was always this hint of it wasn't what she really loved and I could feel it. And, and it took for, it took a while until, you know, she was playing field hockey and, um, and swimming at the same time. And what was happening is she was kind of dividing her time on both and, and just sort of doing okay at either one. And, but not really like I could tell that she didn't love the swimming. And so we had a conversation. I said, I just, I just want you to pick what you want to do and, and have fun. And, and it wasn't true. It was shortly after that, that she decided against swimming and invested her time in, in what she really loved was field hockey. And, um, it was a long winded answer for her. I apologize, but, um, you know, I let her make the choice and it wasn't until she was, you know, she just turned 14 and she was going to be turning 15 that she made a choice for herself on what she really wanted to do. And, and it could have been neither for, for all, for all I cared, you know, as long as she was happy doing it. And, and so I think kids eventually will make that decision on their own on how hard they're willing to push or how hard they, they want to go in, in their individual sport. Do you think it's relevant um, as far as what their goals and dreams are and, and then trying to be honest with what that might look like? I mean, and what I mean by that is you've already mentioned it. So you, you're you coaching at, at the best league in the world. So you see the best hockey players in the world come through your doors. You've been a part of that as a player. You've been around the likes of the Forsbergs and the Martin St. Louis of the world. And you've seen like this otherworldly attention to detail and the pursuit of excellence that, you know, most people don't get that firsthand look to. And now you're, like you said, now you got your parent hat on and you're listening to your yeah. daughter say, yeah, I want to do this. Like, is that something that you want to expose her to or let her know? You know I mean? Like that there is these different places to get to, or do you just kind of let her figure that out for herself? No, I, I, I talked to her uh, a lot about it and I, I try to do it in, in, I don't want to say a gentle manner, but I, I try to be uh, careful with my words with her because, um, you know, Division One athletics is is it's tough and it's it, it's going to be a lot of work for her to uh, not only you know get on the field but gain playing time and and build trust with coaches and and you know it's every year they're bringing in new kids to kind of take your spot so. Um, we certainly have conversations and I'm not going to lie to you. We were at the track yesterday. So we, we, I'm not sitting here saying I don't try to help, you know, give her a little bit of, um, sort of what I went through and, um, you know, because it is, you know, obviously the higher you go on every level, obviously it's a step up and, and it kind of, you know, everyone, you know, chooses sort of, you know, if you want to play house league hockey or single A or double A or triple A or, or these elite travel teams that you see all across Canada now. And, um, you know, you find your, your, your niche there and where you want to play and where you're happy playing, but the, every level you go up, you know, it kind of weeds out sort of a certain level of player and, and you try to prepare them and let them know that, Hey, I know you're good here and you're working hard, but these kids are working this hard and you're going to have to work that hard to, to, you know, have success at the college level. So certainly conversations we have and um, they are, you know, 
I try to be as honest with her as I can because I've I have the background of kind of gone through some of those things. So yeah, I know for sure you have, and I think those are honest conversations. That's something that I like to do with the athletes I work with too. Is like again align try to the best we can align their habits and their actions with their goals and dreams right so you mean if you're going to tell me you want to be something right i 100% want to support you in that whether that's my kid or somebody that i'm working with right but there is an honesty there because i think sometimes in some households it's like yeah you can do whatever you want and i mean that's great but that's empty i think in 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 a lot of ways right because you can but there is actions that are going to be necessary for that to happen you know and i think yeah. you need to know that yeah, and I think, I didn't mean to jump in there, but I, really well said when you started off there because it, it is true. Like, I think, you know, parents always believe that their kids are great, right? Everyone thinks their kids are fantastic. And, and you know, you if you, you got to take that parent lens off sometimes and have, you know, depending on what the goals are for the individual. And, and I know we're talking about 14, 15-year-old kids, but um, there's work that comes with, you know, wanting to advance in, in anything in let alone sports. So yeah. uh, I, I really liked what you said there. So. And there is, there is a leveling up process that you said, even at 14, 15, obviously there, Martin St. Louis wasn't who he was at 25 when he was 15. I mean, he grew into, into those habits and he grew into that mindset and that philosophy. Right. So um, obviously we're not, we're not trying to pretend that's what it's supposed to be, but there is, I think one of the most interesting things for me personally throughout my hockey career was being exposed to the different standards that do exist within the sport, you know, because you don't know what you don't know. And I've said that time and time again, like until you've seen it, until you've witnessed it or until you've partaked in it, it's really hard to like even fathom that some guys do go to that level with, with, with their craft and with their approach. Right. And, and once you do see it, it's it's a massive eye opener because now you have a choice. Okay. This is how some guys do it. Maybe I should get on board. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and, and a lot of times, and uh, I was lucky enough when I was young in my career to be surrounded by some some people like Glenn Wesley, Gary Roberts, um, you know, Paul Coffey, Keith Primo. That was the early stages of my NHL career, and and I can remember them being like, hey, listen, you, you got to start taking care of your body a little bit more here, and, and, and they're like sending me to expert trainers to work with so that I can, you know, not just help myself, but help them. And, and so you don't, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And, and um, you know, it, it, it's, there's a lot of work that goes involved with it, obviously. Is that part of something that you do now in your role? I mean, not, I, I still want to get back to you as a career, but I mean, these conversations go where they go. And, and that idea of like, now you have a Bowen Byram and maybe we don't have to talk about Bowen, but obviously amazingly talented kid that we watched him play world junior and his progression, high draft pick. A lot of these players that come up, uh, these youthful players that are high skill, high talent level, haven't sometimes haven't figured out what it means to be a pro or a professional, you know, and like what that kind of takes in the night in and night out basis. Is that is that left on your shoulders some points? Is that left on the shoulders of the veterans within the team, or like how does that message get uh, you know get communicated? I think it's probably you know a little bit of both. I think we are you know the the timing of our organization now and where we're at as a team and um, our goals and expectations from from management, coaching staff to the players is is um, they're pushing that message now. And, and that's happened kind of a, a couple of years ago for us, probably three years ago, where, you know, there was sort of a little bit of a rollover from our 
uh, my first year here, which was which was a really tough year, and um, you know we, we ended up dead last in in, in the league. But um, our players are sort of driving that message. We've got guys like Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon that when you watch these guys train and, and, and prepare and you watch the way Kale McCarr practices and, you know, it's hard to not get on board with that. If you And, and so you need to. And, and so, and some of that message will come from the head coach, Jared, who I know you talked to just a while ago. And, um, you know, but there's a whole group of, of people that are all, pushing to help develop these guys and these young players and whether it's our development staff or American league staff, us as coaches here in, in Denver or our management. So there's a lot of people um, trying to help them identify sort of where they need to improve and how they need to get better to have successful NHL careers. Yeah. One of your old colleagues there, and I'm sure still a current friend, Brad Larson uh, had a chat with him and, and he, he essentially described when you get that culture right, which which is what you're speaking to, is you know a, a younger player or anyone, Jason Podolan could walk into that environment or that practice, and no one would have to say a word to me, but I would just know what this place is about, you know, yeah. by how people yeah. are acting, how people are going about their business, um, and and it sounds like you guys are starting or you have that there in Colorado now, so that must be pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's great, and I think that's ultimately what you're striving for as, as a coach or coaching staff is to create a a winning culture and, and there's certainly a lot that goes into it. it's not necessarily about the wins but you know the process of getting there right um i have a listener from uh from nova scotia and he says i got a question how is how is specials nate mckinnon he's from here in cole harbor nova scotia and we're all in awe of how incredible he's playing right now um i mean he's obviously super special like a generational type talent and it just seems like a couple of years ago in the playoffs there when he stepped out at least for me it seemed like that was his like real arrival of like, I'm this good and I'm this good and I'm going to be this good all the time. Um, what has it been like to watch his evolution as a player? Yeah, he's a treat. And, and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm in awe watching him, uh, some of the things that he can do. And, um, but this kid is, he's an incredibly hard worker, his intention to detail and in his routine and his sort of, body of work that he has throughout the season he he doesn't let much slip by him so he's he's an incredible talent obviously but i think the work ethic that goes along with it and and to to get him into those areas into the peak condition that he's in and um he's a special player he's a special talent and and he's really fun to be around and watch play that's interesting that you say that because i like i like hearing those stories um just that make some of these superstar type players you know that these kids are idolizing when we can take them off the pedestal just a little bit because you're talking about what he does away from the rink that makes him real special too like he's obviously got a toolkit beyond right but like he's he's combining that now with a professionalism and a workmanlike approach to his business that is allowing him to take those next steps like you know what i mean like it, it humanizes him in my opinion because he's working hard at it. it's not just all natural yeah yeah i i, I think um you know, in my time here, and I can't speak certainly before, but in the four years, and this is my fifth year here, we've seen a huge growth in, in some, in those areas for him. And, and, and that might not be fair for me to say, but I've just seen a player that's just continued to, to elevate his game here year in, year out. And, and I have to think that a lot of that has to do with his mindset and his training and his, his, his diet and all, all of those things are, are what make him really special um, on the ice. 
we uh i had i had the pleasure of interviewing david quinn a little while ago and uh and one of the ways he talked about some of these players that that seem to get it or, or the types of players that he wants in his room are, are the guys he said that are going to help you outside of the 60 minutes of the game. And they're going to help you for the 23 other hours in the day. Um, is that a good way to describe kind of maybe where Nathan has been able to grow his game, like in, in the areas outside of the game itself? Yeah, I think he's taken on, um, you know, this is within the game, but when, you know, a leadership role within our team, so which takes on a lot more than the game itself. And, and, you know, we're lucky with, with the group that we have and, and Gabe Landis-Cog does an incredible job of that as well. And, and so all of these guys have, have sort of dialed their games in here the last couple of years and all taken steps and, and um, with goals in mind individually and, and as a team. And um, yeah, but they've all matured uh, as we've moved on here the last few years, uh, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to watch your team. It's one of my favorite teams to watch now. I guess for obvious reasons. I mean, when I, I you know I appreciate who's standing behind the bench and have relationships with 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 you and you and Bedsy, but it's also amazing to watch like your team, like your team grow and come together, and the and the individual athletes within that team. Like there's there's so much fun to to watch when you guys are out there. So it's really cool to see that evolution. Uh, let's hop back to Portland. I mean, talk about your junior days just a little bit because we haven't touched on that yet. You I mean you had a you had some really good hockey uh, teams there. Maybe could have done better than you did from a playoff standpoint, but a um, lot of lot of names, a lot of big names, a lot of tough bodies, and a lot of guys that went yeah. on to do some cool things in pro. Um, what was your time like there in uh, in Portland? Portland was fantastic. I have nothing but the the most fond memories of playing there. And um, again, everything is is a little bit better when you win. And um, we, like you just touched on, we had some really good teams and. Uh, I agree with you. Probably um, could have done a little bit more there in my early years. Um, but, you know, uh, I, the one year we went to the finals there and lost to Swift Current in seven games. And I think we were. So I want to jump in there. Was that the year you guys had like, I think it was six guys score 40 goals or something? Like there was, there was one year there that it was like crazy the amount of offense you had on that team. Yeah. You know, I we had a couple of years there where we were like, we had Dead Marsh and Weimer and. Uh, Brad Isbister, Dave Scatcherd, we had um, Bahanas. Chris, Chris, yeah, Bahanas was there. Yeah, um, Colin Foley. Like we had, we had an incredible team. Uh, yeah, Scott Nichol was another one. Um, so I can't remember exactly which year it is, but um, the year we lost, I think we were up three games to one in, in the series in the final, and we ended up losing in seven. And um, you know, which was unfortunate, but they had they had some pretty good players. They had, uh, Dean McCammon was there, Brent Villado, I believe Tyler Wright, he might've been gone that year, but they, they were some good hockey players too. So, um, yeah. but I had a lot of fun. I, I, I really was, you know, like I said, I, my, my year as a Bantam A was one of my most fond memories. And then my years in junior was just, it was an incredible amount of fun there as a, as a teenager. Yeah, I mean, I don't talk to many guys from that time that look back on it not fondly. I mean, I've had that discussion here before. And I mean, you, you, I guess, as far as an NHL career is uh, concerned, it wasn't like you were a Ray Bork that was able to stay in one place for essentially ever, but you had like long, long runs, you know, in your NHL journey. So you're able to, to feel like you had a home, and I think a sense of place. 
that was for me in my hockey journey. That was really the only time I felt that was in Spokane. I was there for four years. I knew where I was going. I never got traded. I was able to be, you know, grow within that organization and the culture. And then once I turned pro, I was just all over the place. And I really never felt like I had a home. So like for me, Spokane is like one of the fondest memories ever. I mean, those teams and the players and everything about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and lasting, you know, some of my best friends to this day are still, you know, guys that I played junior with. And um, so it it was it's a it was a great experience. So, what about your? Uh, let's get to camp because that's always a big thing. You mean like whether it's your first camp or, you know, like that process of getting drafted, going to this NHL camp, that experience, being around these pros, guys you've watched on TV, had their hockey cards, you know, posters up on your wall of them, and now you're supposed to be one of them. Um, how how did that process go? And what are your recollections of your first or second camps? Oh, I, my first camp, I was, I think I was terrified to be honest with you. I remember walking in there and, and keep in mind, maybe you go back to, you know, early nineties, there's some men in those rooms, you know, like there wasn't unheard of to have 33, 34, 35 year old men. And I can remember sitting there and, and not that there isn't today, but it's certainly gotten younger over the years. And you walk in as an 18 year old and there's, you know, our team's littered with 20 to 24 year olds that are a huge part of our lineup. So I can remember walking in there and just sort of just in awe, really, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I thought I was in good shape, but after I went through the testing, I realized I wasn't really in that good of shape and there's a long ways to go, not just to play in the NHL, but just, you know, whether or not it was the American league or not. And the American league was certainly, uh, a little bit older too than it is now to these days because it's such a developmental league. It always has been, but it's gotten younger and younger as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I can remember walking in there and, and I think um, they, back in those days, they had some, um, the rookie games where they would take, say we'd go play the the Baby Bruins or the Montreal Canadiens. And they were, they were some tough games and there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that got sorted out on the ice that, I don't know how I survived in my early days, but uh, I figured out a way anyway. So, yeah, I mean, you—it's an interesting point that you make because I definitely, I mean, without question, it, the, the league's gotten younger. I'd like to see an actual data graph sheet of what that actually looks like. I mean, in real yeah. time, compare it, compare a team. But when you put yourself in that scenario, like an 18, 19 year old kid, twenty, whatever that is, and you're dealing with a thirty-five year old man, right? Thirty-eight year old, like that's that is like three generations of hockey player almost, you know what I mean? Cause like hockey careers are so short. Like we're talking about like, and there was a lot of those guys in that room. So to fit in like from maturity level, from a physicality level, like from all these different aspects, it, it was tough, even from a social level, right? Like to, to find your place within that organization was, it was challenging. I, I would assume it'd be a little easier for today's player, but maybe talk about that for you. And like, you're, you know, that step into the AHL, being around these older guys, you know, figuring out how it was to, to fit in and be a pro. Yeah, I think, um, you know, fitting in was, was always, you know, fairly easy. I just kind of, uh, from a hockey standpoint, I should say, just, you know, you go out there and play the game. And, um, but when you have, I can remember my first year pro, um, John Stevens, who is now uh, a coach with the Dallas Stars. He was head coach of the LA Kings for a while. You know, he had kids and, and uh, he was moving houses. So he made the young kids come and move his house for him. And, 
And I remember thinking like, oh, why does this guy have a house and he's got kids? And I'm thinking like, what's going on here? And like, where am I sort of thing? But, but it's life, right? And, and life moves on pretty quick. And, um, you know, you're, you're so young and, and sort of naive in a lot of ways because you're coming out of junior and you're hanging out with a bunch of 16 to 19 year olds. And then all of a sudden, you know, people are playing hockey for a career and they're trying to earn a living to support their family. And, and so it's certainly an adjustment. Um, and yeah, it was eye opening for me, um, to, to, to kind of just see where these guys lives, you know, I mean, I was just a kid kind of thing. And, and so, um, but you do what you can, I think is, is, you know, a little different back then. It was sort of just, um, keep your mouth shut and keep your head down and kind of do what you asked. And then if you did those things, everyone kind of left you alone to some degree and, and you were able to kind of, you know, meet the guys and, and bond with them throughout your play and throughout practice. And, um, yeah. The, uh, hockey's sort of been, depends on who you're talking to. Some people love it and some people don't, but like that, the culture of hockey in and of itself, especially I think maybe more so back when we were playing, created the same type of people, you know, like meaning, you know, in interviews and like the way we kind of hung out and acted. And, and I think it was part of that scenario that you're talking about. You, 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 you arrive at the scene or you arrived at the scene, you're a young guy, you were expected not to say much. You're expected to, you know, kind of fit in, keep your head down and work hard. And you became a part of that, of that, uh, you know, that culture and that, and that team identity. Nowadays, it seems like players are, are allowed to be more individual and it seems like it's almost even encouraged. Do, do you see that like through the lens of a coach now that, you know, these guys are are sort of, I don't know, allowed to be themselves for lack of a better way to describe it? Yeah, no, I think so for sure. I think, you know, um, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I'm certainly now encourage people to, to be themselves and, and um, you know, whatever works for them. And uh, but you can see the, 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 the way the game is today. And, and I think you, you celebrate these individuals and their, their athleticism on and, and off the ice. And, and then that's all helping, I think, grow the game a little bit. And, and um, certainly you see more of it now in, in, in all walks of life, I think, in, in all sports. So. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's good to see. I mean, it's good to see people have a, uh, have a personality, give their opinion. You know, uh, I think it's good, especially as a fan now. And, and, and maybe it'd be a little different if you were in the room, but I don't think so too much. I think guys are, are a little more worth, uh, they're willing to celebrate that. I think a little more or allow it and acknowledge it. Um, you'd have a closer look at that for, from, from the veterans in your room, but it seems that the game's kind of going that way. Um, getting back to you and your career with, with your arrival into the AHL and, and, you know, I looked at the uh, hockey DB as I do with all my guests coming up and, and saw if you played some time in the East coast league there that first year as a, as a first year pro. I mean, was that an injury thing? Was that not good enough to make it in a wake up call or what, what was, what was that for you in your, in your rookie year there? Yeah. I look back on it, probably not an injury, but probably all of the, the other um, thoughts you had on it. It was, um, I came into the league, you know, maybe with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because at one point I was, I was told that the Hartford Whalers, uh, who are now Carolina, obviously, um, were not going to sign me to a NHL contract. So I kind of came in there with something to prove and, and we were, um, a shared American hockey league team, which you don't see very often and certainly not, not as often now because you need the space to develop your players, but we were sharing with the Winnipeg Jets. So it was Hartford and Winnipeg. So 
you know, only so many players can play. And I know they try to um, balance it so they all have their prospects developing and playing. But at a certain point during that year, we got to, you know, with people being sent down and sort of clearing waivers, we got to an overloaded sort of American League team there with, with some guys that had been playing in the NHL. Uh, we're all of a sudden now in the American Hockey League and, um, you know, all of a sudden there isn't just, there wasn't room for me to play. And so uh, they wanted to assign me to the East Coast Hockey League. And, um, you know, I I took that moment in my career incredibly serious and, and um, it was probably a real big crossroads for me as a, as a player. And, um, you know, I was trying, you know, you given the message that, hey, you're going down because of the bodies that we have and we don't have enough room for you right now. But there's also the, you know, what goes on through any player's mindset is, well, why am I going down? Like, why is it me? Why isn't it somebody else kind of thing? So uh, certainly lots of things that I wrestled with and um, it was a tough moment for me, uh, knowing what my goals were to, to, to go forward. And I thought I was taking a step back at that point. But uh, when I look back on it, I think it helped kind of galvanize sort of my my thought process and, and my plan a little bit. How did it do that? Like, so, I mean, so, you're, so you go down there, you don't have a choice and you don't have an NHL deal at this point. So you, you're on a you're on a minor pro deal. Is that what you had? No. So I do have I did get. So coming out of junior, I was told they weren't going to sign me. They we eventually agreed to a contract. So I did have a contract there with Hartford. Um and they reassigned me to Richmond, I believe it was. So I can't, can't memories fading on me, but I believe it was Richmond Renegades. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just uh, had a conversation with the assistant general manager at the time. And, and um, you know, I didn't want to go. At one point, I think I said I wasn't going to go. And But you don't really have a choice if you're, um, you know, you want to continue with the organization and continue to try to, improve your stock as a player and as a person, you got to kind of roll with some of those punches. And, and so, um, you know, I just took it as early on in my career, it was going the wrong direction where I was, you know, I didn't think I was playing in the NHL that year, but I was trying to establish myself in the American league as a regular. And, and, and here I am kind of taking a step back getting um, demoted to the American or sorry, the East coast hockey league at the time. So challenging, certainly. Right. It was a short stint. I think it was only four or five games or something, but like you said, it galvanized you. Was there, was your approach down there one of, uh, I don't know, a little bit more professionalism? Was it, were you serious when you were there? Like what was your approach when you got down there? I, I, I could rephrase that more sort of like, I was a little angry when I went there and, and again, it was short, but when I returned to the, to Springfield there in the American hockey league, it just sort of, made me take things a little bit more seriously than I already was and sort of like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta be even better because no matter, no matter what they're saying, you know, I still was the one that was chosen for that demotion. If that's how you want to look at it, if you, if you want to tier the leagues, I guess, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I just, I took it as, you know, another little chip on my shoulder that I, I just had to be better and I had to do more. And, and so, and that's kind of what I meant by the, the statement there. Gotcha. Just going to take a short break here from the conversation with Mr. Nolan Pratt to remind you guys that the best way to reach out to me or to find out about what I do and how I do it 
is to go to www.upmyhockey.com. Uh, that's where you'll find out about my philosophy, my background, where my passion lies, and how I help athletes, young, old, male, female, teams and individuals uh, become their best uh, through my services packages. So you can look there. I work with private uh, individuals one-on-one. I'm actually just opening up two, two spots uh, this week uh, that have come available. So I have two Two new availabilities for some private clients. I also work with teams uh, through team workshops, which has been really successful and a ton of fun. And I also work with parents and players through my Up My Hockey membership offerings. So there's three ways that we can get her done um, to help your athlete or you as a player, depending who's listening here, uh, become your best. And that's what I do with all the people that I work with, whether it's teams or individuals uh, or the parents of those players, is that I... Talk about becoming consciously competent, which means knowing what it takes to become your best, to fulfill that potential within you, and to even exceed expectations. Uh, We don't want to just roll the dice and hope it all works out. There is a process to your practice. There is a process to how you think about your mindset, about the character traits that are desired and demanded and needed in this great sport. And all of these things, if we are conscious about them and intentional about them, are skills that can be worked on. And often this is stuff that isn't talked about enough and it isn't talked about in a way that is considered to be high performance. And this is the new wave of high performance. Um, We have mastered the physical realm. There's skill coaches for everything out there, but we have no idea how to handle the mental side of this game, whether it becomes deliberate practice, whether it becomes uh, an understanding how to manage relationships within, within a team or with your coach, or whether it's just understanding the secret formula for you about what it takes for you to become the best player you need to be. So you can find out about all that at www.myhockey.com. Um, the ball is really rolling. Momentum is flying. Uh, it's been awesome. I really appreciate all the support to date. Um, but there's room. I can help more people and I can help more teams. So if you're there and you're interested, definitely check out myhockey.com. You can reach out to me there if you have any questions. And now we'll get back to the interview with Nolan Pratt. How uh, were you told in those days? And, and I want you to be able to, you know, mirror that to how it is now. Like you're, you're a 20 year old rookie. You're, you're trying to establish yourself in the American hockey league. Were you, did you know how to do that? Like, did you know what you like to be Nolan Pratt and to establish yourself and to be a guy who's potentially going to get called up? Like what that player looked like? Did, did they, did they paint that picture for you? Or are you trying to figure that out yourself? No, I would say I was, figuring that out on my own. Um, at that time, I, I had visions coming out of junior, I would have had, you know, 40 something points and a couple hundred minutes and penalties coming out of my last year junior, albeit 19 playing against some younger kids. So thought I was a little bit tough, but um, you get there and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, these are some, you know, some real men that you're playing against. And, and um all of a sudden you're not that you're not quite as good as you think and you're not quite as tough as you think and, and, and it's a reset for you but when i came into you know i think i had visions of sort of being a little bit more of an offensive player than obviously it turned out for me and um like i said back early in our conversation just you know every step you go up the the level of play obviously gets better and better and the talent pool is larger and and so I realized probably, you know, 
late in that year that, hey, I'm not as offensively gifted as I thought I was based on kind of who I was around. And I started figuring that out. And, and I had some people around me there that, you know, one of them's John Stevens that I'm still friends with today that, you know, helped me sort of kind of open my eyes a little bit to, you know, what it's going to take to, to not only just play here, but to, to play at the next level. So, um, you know, I, we can, I can get into it, but if you want to move on, that's fine. But I had a conversation with, um, you might remember the name Byron Ritchie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Local so, yeah. yeah. So he, he, whether he would know it or not, he had a real defining moment in my career. We were playing in the American hockey league together in New Haven and, he basically said to me one night, like, what happened to you as a player? Like you used to be X, Y, and Z. And I was like, you know, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, whoa, that kind of hurt a little bit, but um, he was bang on and um, he wouldn't know it, but he, he helped change my career path where I still kind of thought I should be this. And, and I really realized after him saying that to me that I have to be that to, to, um, to move on. And so I kind of, um, stop thinking about trying to, you know, generate offense or points. And, and, I, and I wasn't really, but in my head, I thought I need to do that to get noticed kind of thing and kind of changed a little bit of the mold of, of what I was going to be as a player and kind of dialed those things in. Interesting. That's super cool. So him, him essentially calling you out on not being anything kind of, is that a good way to put it? Like you were trying yeah, to be one that, thing and sort of not being, not really having an identity allowed you to say, okay, I had to create an identity here. Yeah, I would, I would. That's for sure. That's absolutely. And that was, that was probably, you know, I played games in, in the NHL, my second year pro nine games. And then my next year I uh, played 20 something. And, uh, but it was that third year for me that, that he hit me with a little bit of a message, I think, cause I thought coming out of my second year that I was going to, have more success just because I had some already. It's just going to get better for me. And in reality, it wasn't, you know, it was, you had to work for it. And, and he kind of kicked me in the pants there without him probably knowing it, that um, I, I really didn't have an identity necessarily at two years into my career as a pro. And, and um, that third year was, was game changing for me. That's really cool. I mean, I, that's a, that is a massive crossroads. And then to be able to make that choice to maybe be and embrace something that you hadn't previously embraced. And I'm sure you, I'm sure you've seen that on a coaching side now, because I've talked about that in this podcast before of like people play and are passionate about the game, but sometimes on their terms, yeah. you know, like, like I'm, I'm, I love hockey when I'm on the half wall in the PP and setting guys up in the slot and on the one timer, but now you're going to ask me to block shots in the PK and I'm not going to get in the PP. That's not, that's not passionate. I'm not passionate about that. I don't want to do that, sure. you know? Yeah. So, um, and some guys fall at the wayside because of that, because like you said, the leveling up process, only so many guys can be in the PP. And if they're not prepared to make these sacrifices, let's put it in air quote sacrifices that, um, that they're not willing to go there. Do you, do you see that now? I'm, uh, can you, would you echo that, that some guys just can't make that adjustment? Yeah. And, and keep in mind, like I coached in the American hockey league for five years and, and obviously a, a, a huge developmental league that that feeds the NHL and and you know without naming names but you see that a lot and and because you know everybody is sort of like I think of the NHL and you go to the American League but everyone that's getting drafted and moving on to the next they're the best of the best like they're they're the best kid from their hometown they're the best from their junior team and they're they just are right and so there's there's 
things that sometimes they don't get challenged with um, or, or details or elements of their game that they haven't really had to hone in on and, and work on because they've been so good. And, you know, there's certain, you know, I know it's sacrifices is a term that gets thrown around, around a lot, but you, there are certain sacrifices that you have to be willing to make. And because there's going to be a come a point where you're not the best anymore. And, and what are you willing to do to continue to, to develop your game or broaden your game and, and, and to get to the next level, whether that's, you know, we're talking junior or collegiate or pro, whatever, whatever your choices or your, your path is. So, um, yeah, and it was something for me that I, I realized that, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to score a pile of points in pro American league or NHL. And I need to be, I need to be a defending defenseman that can be relied on, um, in all of these areas of the ice. And I need to do that with a, with a level of grit and determination. And, and so I knew that I, if I didn't get that in my game, it was going to be tough for me to move on to another level. And, and, um, it was a choice I had to, I had to basically change. Now there's people out there that are, that are gifted and will continue to generate offense their whole career, but there's certainly different paths for everybody. And, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, choices you have to make along the way. Well, and I think it, I mean, and the lesson to players, at least the one I want them to pick up is the fact that you can never be too well-rounded, you know I mean? Either, yeah. right. Because sometimes you just need to do that to get your foot in the door, you know, yeah. like, okay. I mean, you can't play power play this year, but we want you on the team, but you have to be able to contribute in these other roles. And if you're not able to, then we can't bring you up. Right. Like, I mean, so it just allows a player to be more diverse and, and to gain the trust in other ways, which all of a sudden, Hey, maybe now somebody's hurt in the top six and you get that chance. Cause you're already at the dance. You're already there. You're already playing, you know? Um, I think that's get missed sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think everyone always has a vision of, of what it takes to be, you know, in any sport and any walk of life, you got to be this to, to have success. And, and that's really not the case at all. And, um, there's, you know, I know I've said it a few times, but there's so many different paths that, that a player or a person can take. And, um, you know, the developmental path, let alone whichever path you choose, but everyone develops at a different rate and, and, um, knowing where you can carve out a niche for yourself on a, on a, on a team is, is really important. I know you're in charge of uh, the penalty kill there in, in Colorado. I believe that hasn't changed, correct? That's that's your correct. that's yeah. your responsibility. So you guys are crushing yeah. it again this year. So first of all, congratulations on that. I know that's something you take a Thank lot of pride you, in. Um, do you do you as far as from the PK perspective is concerned? I mean, we're, I, I'm, why I'm going there right now is because that is one of these areas, one of these dirty areas that is really a commitment, a dedication, a, a choice by the player whether they want to be a part of that or not. Um, do you identify players or ask players to like, how, how does the, how does the personnel decisions get made for, for something like that? Well, you know, I think every year at camp, we, you know, you have your meetings and you have your, your expectations from, you know, from a team standpoint, and then we, you know, can break off into our special teams. And, and in some of those meetings, you, you're, you want guys that obviously want to be a part of it but it's easier said than done and and i'm not just speaking for our team I'm speaking in my my history as a player and and as a coach and all of those things and um you know like if i could have chosen i would have chose to score 50 goals a year and and you know get 100 points and play the power play because that sounds fantastic and it certainly is what you dream of as a kid right but the reality is is you have to find what you're good at or, 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 or what the team 
needs and and find a way to to improve upon those things so you want guys that want to be a part of it and and um you know the earlier you not the earlier because everyone should enjoy the game and have fun but at the pro level you know the earlier you can identify what you're what you're good at and what maybe to be honest with yourself and go hey listen i i I can't do what Nathan McKinnon can do. That just was never going to happen for me. But I know I can do this and I can sacrifice and commit to these areas to to not just help the team win, but also give yourself um, success as well. Because, you know, if a team has success, certainly at our level, it, it, it bodes well for everyone, whether you're scoring goals or, or keeping goals out of the net. So, um you know, obviously we look for guys that, that um, you know, relish the opportunity and the ice time and, and um, you know, it's, yeah, everyone always says it's not the, it's not the, the pretty thing that happens on the ice. It's blocking shots and chasing pucks and committing to some of those areas that are, that are a lot of work and not that scoring goals isn't work, but like you alluded to that it's, it's the dirty work sometimes that that uh, makes a difference, and we look for guys that uh, really want to be a part of that and and um, cherish that that role. Yeah, I think uh, I like that. I, I like being I, I, as a player. I like knowing what what I was supposed to do, and, and and being allowed to embrace that, you know, and then really take ownership of it. And I think in any organization, whether you're a hockey player, whether you're running a business, I mean, I think when when you're when your personnel get that, this is what we want you to do. And I want you to love it. And I want you to be great at it. You know I mean, like it really, it speaks to that. And I, you know what, as I'm saying that Pratter, um, I'm thinking back to the conversation with Brad Larson. And he said that was the first time when he was in Colorado and you guys were there together where he said, he, I mean, he played three to five minutes a night. And yeah, that role though, he said, the boys made him feel so important in that role. A Sackick would come down at the end of the game and say, man, that hit was amazing. It's just what we needed. You know, I'm like, and his penalty killer or whatever. And he just said, like, he felt like that, that those four minutes, like were really helpful to the team. And he just loved it. Like he felt a part of things. Like, um, did you feel that there in Colorado as well? And is that kind of what you're trying to get these guys to, to embrace when you're doing this in Colorado yourself? Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, my time here in Colorado was pretty short, but when I look back on, um myself in in tampa we we had some pretty talented players and and so um the culture that was created and everybody's job and and part within the team was was so important and and i credit john tortorella for for a lot of that and and so everyone's pulling for one another in in all the little areas of the ice whether it was scoring or or defending or you know playing with some physicality or whatever the case was is when you when you when your team grabs hold of that and 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 is all in for each other that's when you really see your team take off and um certainly that's how it was for me back in tampa as a player and and we feel like we're developing that here in colorado and 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 so um yeah i I would agree with you a lot on that statement because you got i mean pk you can have different systems, but I mean, no, no one's going to be coming up with something, you know, <laughs> no one's ever seen before. Right. And like, this is just like Colorado's the only one that's able to, to execute this strategically. Right. So like, I'm saying that in the sense that your personnel and their buy-in and their like extra level of commitment to whatever that system is, I, I think is the difference when it comes to that, you know, your ability to execute that these guys want to do it. You know what I mean, and they want to do it really well. 
Yeah. And I think ultimately that's what it is. Like I, I could change or we could change as a staff and, and go to any system that we really want, but it's the buy-in and the, the willingness to, to the, the attention to detail, the commitment that it takes in all of those areas. You, you could do a lot of different things, but if they're not willing to, to do it and, and they're not willing to push each other to do it right. And that's a lot of what we talked about this year uh, as a team is our, our guys taking ownership of it as, as a, as a unit within our team, you know, the penalty right. kill unit is a team within the team kind of thing and pushing themselves. So if you don't get that, it's tough to have success. And, and um, you know, I, we feel like our guys are there right now and obviously it's a long year, but we've um, gotten off to a decent start. Yeah. And you I mean, you're following up on success from last, from the previous two seasons, really. I mean, like you've definitely grown that. It looks awesome. So good on you. Uh, you mentioned New Haven already. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't go back there for a second because you were on another split team there with uh, the Panther organization. And uh, I can't, I couldn't believe the names that you played with there, like from my, yeah. from my past, right? Like Hugh Hamilton and Dave Lamanowitz and Ryan Johnson, my first pro roommate. And, you know, yeah. anyways, like there's just the names go on and on as far as you guys rubbing elbows together and being teammates. And that was, you already mentioned that being a really uh, pivotal point in your in your whole career. Like, how did you go from being a New Haven Beast, um, kind of an up and down guy, to solidifying that spot and becoming, you know, an NHLer, a full-time NHLer? Yeah, I think so. That truly was, you know, everyone, at least they're all in a rush to get to the NHL, right? Like everybody's just, I got to get there. I got to get there. And the American League, I can't go to the American League. I certainly can't go to the East Coast League. And um, so you want to get there as fast as you can, but to me, you're only ready when you're, when you're truly ready. And I know that's a kind of a blanket statement there, but I wasn't ready until that third year for me in the American hockey league. I look back on it now and just know, like I needed that year to, I needed the coach that I had during that season, uh, Kevin McCarthy to be as hard as he was on me to get me to realize that, Hey, I'm trying to cruise through this. I needed Richie to to kick me in the pants and so that I could just some reality set in for me so um, I sort of didn't change my game but I I certainly dialed in the things that I knew I needed to be better at and, and to show that I was going to be ready to play and uh, there was a lot of injuries in Carolina that year and um, so really at the end of the day there's a little bit of luck that went into it and I there were some injuries that got me the opportunity um and then more injuries along the way that you know allowed me to kind of get my foot in the door and stay and um so i like you said i found a way to kind of kick the door in there and get my foot in the door uh, enough to to provide me an opportunity of some playing time my, some injuries obviously were a part of it but um that's kind of how it, it kick-started my career and um i did enough to stick around there and and the following year I came into training camp uh, without a contract and I was maybe getting ahead of myself a little bit. And I had a guy by the name of Keith Primo come over to me and say, what are you doing? Cause they were basically saying, Hey, if you don't have a contract by September 20th, we're sending you home kind of thing. And, and um, he came over to me and he said, listen, if you want to play in the NHL, just sign your deal and, and continue to sort of build your, your game here and establish yourself within the team and, and, and then see what happens from there. And so it was another guy that came to me, we were skating around on the ice before practice started. And he just warned me about, if you want to be here, 
you know, let's go. If not, then it might be different for you. So, you know, I signed the contract. I signed the contract that night, I think, maybe the next morning with my agent. And I just said, hey, listen, I'm, I, I got to get this done. Otherwise, you know, the opportunity was bigger to me than the contract itself. I needed the opportunity to continue to to establish myself in the league. And, and so I took that opportunity and um, served me well over the next few years. So. Yeah, good for you. So that was more, it was more of a, like a, a money thing at that stage, like they were going to give you a contract, but you wanted to have a little bit more. Is that what the issue was? Well, at that time, I think it was um, a two-way contract versus a one-way contract, mm. which is, which as you know, is a big deal as you know, in pro Huge. whether or not. It, so, um, but I took the two-way uh, to stay. So, um, and he was basically like, if you, if you sign it, you've got an opportunity to stay and play here, but if you don't, you're not going to be here. And, and so I recognized the opportunity and believed in myself and, and took the two-way contract to try to establish yeah. myself some more. Yeah. I think that was a little insider trading potentially like where that, where that message was coming from. Cause yeah. obviously, I mean, you were there like playing, you were negotiating, you were kind of, you know, you were showing, you were saying these guys aren't going to, I'm going to call their bluff kind of right a little bit. Like yeah. these guys aren't yeah. going to let me go for nothing. And he's like, Hey, they're going to let you go, man. Like sign this and stick. Around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you look back on it and it could have been, I, I would, you know, it might've been Ron Francis at the time or Keith. One of, one of the two was the captain of the team. And um, you never know. Uh, I look at Keith as um, one of the best people that I was, you know, I was lucky to be around as a player, certainly as a young guy. And he's one of the best captains I ever had. So he's a guy that really looked out for me earlier in my career. And, and, um, you know, so I, I think he was there in that case, looking out for me. And um, he sort of believed in maybe what he'd seen from me early on in, in my games and uh, recognized that if I take the opportunity, I'll have a chance to do some more of that. So, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, it could, could work both ways, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you stuck though, right? So, I mean, it's crazy, right? Even those two things you just talked about and, and thanks for being so honest with it, but like that opportunity of the injuries, like sometimes you're yeah. in a scenario where there's just no place to go and you might be doing what you could be doing, but it's just in the wrong organization at the wrong time. Um, yeah. cause there is a window for everybody, right? There's, there's usually sure. a window too. And, yeah. uh, so for you to have, to have those, uh, injuries come up and, and, you know, maybe even be in an environment where, I mean, I, I don't mean to speak out of school, but that potentially you're allowed to make a few mistakes at the NHL level because there's really no one else to go to either. Right. So now we, we know we have no one for a little while, allows you to get comfortable, allows you to get your feet underneath you. Right. Like that can yeah. be super helpful too. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, you know, th that's certainly part of it. I would say we were probably, on a, on a lineup with six defensemen. I think we had three American League defensemen. Uh, Mike Rosinski that most people probably wouldn't know. Stephen Halko was another guy. Uh, and then myself, all three of us were in the lineup and we were playing, we were playing heavy minutes too because they had to play us. And, and so it did give you, not that I was sitting there going, well, what are they going to do if I don't play well? But it, you know, you knew you had an opportunity in front of you and you, you got to make the most of it. And, um, but I'm not, shy of of you know injuries are part of the game and um the injuries allowed me the opportunity to get my foot in the door and i like to think that after that i took care of some things but there, there's you know i'll go back to it again but you know my path is is so different to everybody else's and um you spoke of the window like that three-year window at that time in in you know american league nhl after being drafted three years pro is your window's starting to get pretty small so 
Yeah. Um, lucky for the opportunity and, and the timing is everything on, on a lot of things too. Like the, the, it all just aligned itself to give me a chance and, and I took advantage of it. Yeah, no, good for you. I mean, it's kind of interesting too, like just even paralleling my own story because like my biggest opportunity at that NHL level was my first year pro. So as a 20 year old, like I played 39 games that year. And, and I mean, whether I obviously wasn't ready because I never stuck, but I mean, th- like that window all of a sudden, like almost shut after that point, you know, like it, it's crazy how stuff can happen on guys, you know, like I got four games after that and led the AHL in goals one year at 22. Right. It was like, yeah, kind of, kind yeah. of weird. Right. And you never really know. So, I mean, to have that opportunity, you never know when you're going to get it is one thing I say to the guys I work with. And when you get it, you really want to take hold because you don't know if it's coming again. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, and I, you know, I, obviously we were breaking in similar times and, and so, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, when you go back to the window, I, you just spoke of yours and how it was tougher for you after your first year when, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, it should be, I should be established now. And, and, and so it was something that I never really, I never really felt super secure. Like I always felt like I had to continue sort of proving myself year in, year out. And the one time that I sort of let myself get comfortable, I, I got traded from Carolina to Colorado and, and just maybe getting a little bit ahead of myself on what I really was as a player. And, and, and so, um, you know, but my window, like my window was probably almost squeezed shut in my third year. And, and then, but I also needed that third year of pro American league to like break through that window, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't have that third year and that time there and all of the things that kind of transpired there, I don't know that I would have ever pushed through sort of that window, so to speak. So, um, you know, anyway, yeah. You never know. No, yeah. I'm just thinking back on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was our, like Ryan Johnson, RJ, who was a recent guest. He he said that was a real formative year for him too. Like, you know, he had actually had success on that team that year from a points perspective, but it was a year for him where it really crystallized as well, that he knew that he was going to have to be great at other things to be able to take that next step too. Sure. And, yeah. and, um, it, and obviously he went on to a great NHL career as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. And uh, he's, one of the nicest people that I ever played with and, and uh, you know, still has an impact in the game today. And um, yeah, we had, we had a, we had a nice group there and, and we had a nice mix of some veteran players that have, have been around the American league and the NHL and up and down and all of those things that, that I think helped. And, and I, that Kevin McCarthy, our head coach there was a, was a big part of that for me as well. And, um, knowing what it would take from certain guys to to have some success, and and I would think that RJ might speak the same way. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned um, McCarthy being hard on you. I don't I don't I don't know him personally, uh, but you also had Paul Maurice. You also had Bob Hartley for a little bit there. You also had John Tortorella. So you you have some guys that, you I mean. I don't know what you want to say it kind of from the old school type type approach um, era there. Does, was that, uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, you had a great career. It must've, have, must've have done something well for you. A- any one of those guys stands out uh, in particular? I know you already talked about torts and the impact he had. Yeah. I think all of them in their, in their own way. And, and um, McCarthy wasn't, he wasn't a hard coach, but he had some hard messages for me when I needed it kind of thing. And, and I've had conversations with him after the fact. And I think just a couple of years ago, I told him the whole story of um, how he basically embarrassed me in front of the whole team. He was right for doing it. And, um, 
and I told him, I said, it was, it had a lasting impact on me. And I just, I said, I wanted you to know that that conversation, I said, you might not even remember it, but I do. And um, so I think everybody, yeah, well, um, so I had just been, is after my, I played 25 games uh, in Carolina at the end of the season, it was with the injuries and I was recalled and we were a bunch of us were recalled. And I came into training camp thinking that, I'm going to, I'm going to play here this year because I played 25 games last year because of injuries. And so obviously I'm going to play, but it doesn't work that way. And so I was sent down to the American hockey league, um, and pregame skate. So I sent down that day, I think it was myself and Stephen Halko and we're pregame skate and I'm just kind of cruising around. Like I'm a big deal, you know, cause I just got sent down and, and, um, he, we're doing this, we're just doing a big horseshoe, like as, as simple as you can get horseshoe uh, pregame skate. And, and um, someone missed me with a pass. And I will admit he missed me by like quite a bit, but I didn't really make an effort to like stop on it and, and, um, and um, gather the puck and go and finish the drill. I just kind of wheeled back to the corner, you know, and he blew his whistle and came racing down to the corner. So you got half the team in one corner and half in the other. And he, in, in, I won't use all the, uh, the words that he used, but explained to me that, you know, um, skating around, like my stuff doesn't stink and that's got to change. And, and, uh, it just kind of just took me back. Like I was like, Whoa. And my initial thought was like, Whew, why, why is he being so rough on me? But, he was right. And, um, so it would just, was like, it just kind of reset my thinking for me and, and I credit him for doing that. And then I probably got away from it again. And, and that's the same year that, um, well, it was early on, early on, um, Brian Ritchie did the same thing to me. So, yeah. um, I never thought of myself as necessarily an arrogant kid, but you can get off track, you know, with some success and, and you gotta, as cliche as it is, you gotta remember how you had the success. So, uh, him, um, I was so thrilled to be in the NHL with uh, Carolina and, and Paul Maurice and those guys. So I, I probably didn't know any better still. I was just like a puppy dog trying to soak up everything, but, but he was fantastic as well. I have, I still have a, a good relationship with him and speak to him whenever I see him. And, um, you know, Bob was, he was a hard coach and, and I think he would admit that he was a hard coach and everybody knows that he is. And, um, but he was going to do whatever he thought necessary to, to push you out of your comfort zone. And, um, but if you think of some of the stories that I'm telling you, like, but maybe I got into my comfort zone too easily at times. And so you need people to push you out of them. And, uh, and Tortorella is, is certainly someone that will do that as well. So, um, I never shied away from it. I think it helped me be the player that I was and, and the person that I am. And, um, you know, if you're willing to embrace it and look at it as a, as a coaching tool, if you're a player in those situations, I think you can really grow from them and learn from them. And, and, um, you know, all of my, I've been lucky, all of my coaches are just wanting nothing but the best for, for me as a player or us as a team. And, and, uh, they're just trying to make you better and help you get better. And if you use it in the right way, it can, it can help you, help you a ton. And it certainly did for me. That's great. Yeah. I think that's, that sometimes where these where these harder coaches lose the message that it's actually about the player. You know what I mean? It's about them wanting the best for you. And I think sometimes yeah. that gets lost, you know, and, and yeah. you just think this guy's a dick and he hates me and he doesn't like me. Oh, no, 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 no. 
He actually yeah. wants you to be better. And he's just, this is a way for him to try and do that. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think back in our day, like no one would, no one would ever talk to you about this is a strategy for me to get you better. You just, you just had to like roll with it and, and adapt to it and, and figure it out. Whereas now I think it's talking to coaches. It sounds like maybe that message is a little bit more like, Hey man, this is what I'm going to do for you. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, you might not like it, but this is all for you to be the best player you can be. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. It was, you know, um, you just dealt with it in, in our era and, and it's the way it was. And, um, you know, players today, they want more information. They want to know why they want to know how sort of thing. And you lay that out for them and, and you be as honest with them as you can. And, and, uh, I think that's all they want, you know, honesty and, and from their coach, uh, coaching staff, it's certainly what I wanted as a player, just, just hit me with what it really is and, and, and I'll do whatever I need to do to, to correct that or, or keep working on all of those things. And so, um, yeah, for me, cause it, you know, I look back and the, the, none of those coaches were anything but honest to me. And, yeah. and so I, I consider myself super lucky to have had that, um, you know, early in my pro career and NHL career that no one was hiding anything from me. And, and so with that, I was able to just kind of focus in on, okay, well, this is the way it is and this is what I got to do. So you, uh, it sounds like you were a coachable player and, and in an interview, um, a press interview that I re- read about you, you said, you, you said, and, I'll, and I'll, I wrote it down. I thought it was great. You said the best players are usually the ones that want to be coached the most. They want to be coached the most and are willing to work with you and are the most willing to work with you. Um, can you describe what that means, coachability? Like, if you were to if you were to say this is a trait that you would desire in a player, how would you break that down for them? What that means to you? Yeah, I think it it's just um, you know, in the heat of the moment, nobody necessarily likes to be told that they're wrong or or that it wasn't good enough, and 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 certainly those things happen. And I'll be the first to admit, like I'll go back and look at things in a, after a game on video and just go, I wasn't right on that. And I'll be the first guy to go to that player and go, Hey, listen, the other night when we were had a little exchange, I was, I was off. I, I, I misread that play during the game kind of thing. But um, you know, the, the players, they're willing to absorb the information and, and, uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just talking in broad sense of, of the term, but um, you know, if I go back to my American league days, you know, we, we touched on sort of um, players coming in and thinking they were one thing and then trying to help them identify that, Hey, like this is probably more where you're going to fit and where you're going to see yourself, or this is what you're going to need to do to establish yourself. And, and some players are more willing to accept that information than others, whether it's, in practice, through video, through, you know, in the heat of the moment in the games. And, and some people, um, you'll watch them, you'll, you'll give them information and you can watch them trying to implement those things into their game, into their practice, and you can see it. And then you'll see others that maybe necessarily the repeated mistakes and sort of the, well, I think I should do it this way kind of thing. And you're always going to have guys that are, um, more willing to accept the information than others. And, and, um, you know, you just try to, you find a way with, with coaching, I think, on how to relate to those players and how to best give them the information that they can help them have some success. And everybody's a little different. And I think that's a big part of coaching is, is how do you relay that message and how do you present that information and how do you get them to, to accept it and, and kind of run with it. And uh, not all coaches are not always right. I'll admit that. And we make mistakes like everybody, but 
um, the players that, that want that and, and um, look for it, I think are the ones that I see have the most success. It's uh, the modern approach to coaching. I'll say modern in just a broad sense. Uh, and you seem to speak to it from what, from listening to you and from what I've read is a little bit more catered to the individual than it was 25 years ago when we were playing, uh, where it was more a message to the collective and you needed to get on board with that message to the collective. Do, do you find that to be true, that now you're catering to more of an individual, on an individual basis to, an, to a collective approach? Like, meaning trying to find the best way for a player with a given skill set to be the best player they can be within this system, this ecosystem of the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, I think so. And I think of, um, you know, I've never been a head coach. So, but from speaking from an assistant coach, there's a lot of that that goes on with, with my day-to-day routine on, on individual uh, work and, and video sessions or, or conversations and meetings. And um, so, you know, there is, I would say, you you nailed it with, you know, 25 years ago when we were breaking in, it was, here's the puck and sort of feast or famine like, let's see who comes out of this pile and who's the best kind of thing and you either sink or swim uh without too many cliches there but that's really kind of how it was to some degree and um and that's slowly sort of changed here over the time and and players now are um you know i mean my daughter trains individually with a trainer here in in denver to to help her you know improve her her footwork and her speed and her power. So everyone's isolating into these individual sort of elements. And I think now nowadays in coaching, there is a lot of individual things that, that go on within that team concept. And um, so I certainly do a lot of that on a day-to-day basis, um, all trying to help the player mature and, and get better in the areas that he needs to, so that collectively we are, we are better as a team. So. Another short break from your conversation here with Nolan Pratt. I'm sure you are enjoying it. I just want to say thank you, as I always do, uh, for those of you who are choosing to listen, spend time with us here every week with these great guests, and also who have even taken it a step further and have supplied reviews. And we've talked about how amazing the reviews are. I think we have 52 reviews now on on iTunes. It's a grind, I must say, uh, to keep asking and asking and asking. And some of you guys are following through, and ladies for that matter, uh, and fulfilling my request of putting those uh, reviews out there. They truly do help. Uh, they really do allow the doors to open up in this podcast and get it introduced to more people without me having to be physically in front of them or having someone see my social media posts about them because iTunes starts showing the podcast to other people and recommending it to other people. So the more people that get involved in that uh, in the rating side of it uh, is much appreciated. So I'd love to get to 100 ratings here, uh, 100 reviews. Uh, before the end of June. Um, We're at 52, and this has been a year running now, so I think if we can increase that curve, that would be amazing. So if you are one of my loyal listeners, and if you have been listening for a while, you're probably doing it on iTunes. Uh, I think 70% of you are. Uh, and if you haven't given a review, by all means, please get in there and give a review. And by the way, if you've given a review, you can go in there and give another one. Um, I, Apple does not stop you from doing that. So awesome way to support me. And thank you so much for listening. And now we'll get back to the episode with Nolan Pratt. Thanks so much. Back in uh, back when we played, the, the assistant coaches were generally 
um, the liaison, right? That kind of that safe, friendly, sometimes for lack of a better word, point of contact between you and the head coach and maybe sort of that ins- inside poker type scenario. Is that still sort of the way it is? Or do you feel you're the more the one, the feet on the ground that are establishing the relationships and building the trust and kind of getting to know these players as people as well as players? Yeah, and and I wouldn't say that I'm doing that any more than than Jared Jared Bednar is himself. You know, the game today and in, in coaching today, there it is a lot about the relationships that you build with the athletes and the team. And um, so, but there's certainly as an assistant, there's there's a line that you kind of walk, um, you know, with the head coach and the players, and and it's always been that way. And and you know, sometimes you have to be a sounding board for players and. Um, and uh, you know, you're always making sure that you're delivering the the team message to those players. But um, there's certainly that aspect to it for for sure as an assistant coach. Do you? My, my head's just going because I I think personally, the X's and O's are always going to be a part of the game. Uh, I, I I don't need to discount it. However, I think that the 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 incremental gains. And I think the the thing that makes teams be great isn't the X's and O's. I think it's the EQ. I think it's the emotion element. I think it's the relationship element and the trust that gets built in these other areas. If you do agree with me, um, how do you go about building that skill of how to deal with people and how to get the most out of people within their skill set so they can do the X's and O's properly? Yeah, uh, well, I certainly agree with you. And I, I think... When you when I think of all the teams that I played with from our bantam days to my junior success or failures and even on to um, the American Hockey League and, and and in the NHL as a coach and as a player, um, you know you the best teams that I ever played on were the closest teams, and they certainly were. And I think I would be shocked if anyone said any different and. Um, we had the most fun. We had we had the best time as a group, uh, as a team, and and that connection and that sort of um, growth as a team that comes and happens, and, and it happens organically because there's just a certain point uh, during a season or maybe over the course of a couple of seasons where you really see your team come together and and know that they're all kind of pulling on the same or pulling in the same direction, and and so. Um, it, it comes from your players at a certain point and uh, from a coaching perspective, you know, I never thought that, like, I never, when I was 27 years old, I wasn't going, Hey, I'm going to be coaching when I'm done playing kind of thing. It just slowly sort of started, um, creeping into my mind later in my career and thought that it'd be something that I would enjoy and, and, and be a part of the game. And, um, so you kind of jump into it um, with not a lot of knowledge, to be honest with you. But I fall back on a lot of the things that I went through in my career, uh, and and I rely on those things to kind of help me as a coach now. And um, you know, I don't talk about myself as a player. And like you said before, like it was a long time ago when you start talking about today's game. But I use a lot of those um, skills that I learned as a player and and as a younger coach to help me now and today and. Um, you know, because you, you, your past is, is uh, really helpful in, in these areas here when you're helping young guys develop and grow as, as people and players. And um, I, I use it a lot. Yeah. If, that answers, if that answers your question there, I think. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you did for sure. I mean, I think it's uh, it's hard to probably put even put a fing finger on one thing, right? But uh, I know yeah. for me, even what I do, like my biggest growth has been in that aspect. Of course, being a student of the game and what are teams doing and how are you know how what's happening to the game. Like you have to have your pulse on that. But I think, but yeah, my biggest growth, my biggest successes has been in like what makes the person tick behind this athlete, right? Like what yeah. makes this person be good and how can I communicate? Uh, what I see for them um, and how that's going to relate to them. So it's relatable in a way that they're now going to be able to implement these actions and want to take action, you know, and want to take consistent action, right? Like all these different things are like, to me, that's psychological and it's not necessarily physical. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you, you can expose yourself to different people, conversations like this help me, different books help me, right? There, there's different ways to soak this stuff up. But I, I see that direction of coaching and that direction of like success being more along those human uh you know psychological lines rather than the uh the physical lines right now yeah no i i and i agree with you 100 percent. and it, it's all you know building that relationship and that trust with that individual player and and when you can get that and you can and, and it's not just coach and player and, and there's a level of trust and and commitment on both sides and it, it's something that that you know doesn't happen instantly all the time and and you know certain guys are more reserved than others in certain areas but when you when they when they realize and they can accept that you have their best interest in mind and um then i think that's when that that relationship can grow and when you and i know for myself like i didn't always love all the decisions john tortorella made for me as a player but i trusted that he was honest with me and and um and so I could I could accept some of them, even though I might not like some of them. I could accept sure. um, accept them and try to grow from them uh, because I tr I trusted him. I still yeah. I still would to this day. I know he's an honest man, and and uh, when the players recognize that in you, and and now how do you relay that and how do you do that? I think that's all individually. You gotta you gotta learn as you're going through and and find what works for you and and identify what works for one player or another might not work for the next and. And trying to find the ways to to yeah. push them and prod them and help them and in all those areas. The other aspect of that, uh, we're kind of doing a deep dive on this right now, but is like I think personally is finding your individual authenticity and identity from as a coach to help those players find their individual authenticity, right? Because if you're, I mean, again, my opinion, but if I mean, if you really like John Tortorella you trying to be John Tortorella probably isn't going to work because the boys are going to see through that loud and clear, right? So you have to yeah. find who yeah. Nolan Pratt is in this environment to be able to use whatever traits you might want to want to pick up on from some of these other mentors or role models that you had. Do you find that's part of your own personal evolution too as a coach? Yeah, no, I think so. I think as, as a coach, I've always been, you know, make sure you know your stuff and, and you got to be true to yourself and be who you are. And if you try to be anything different than that, players recognize that fast. If you're if you're, you know, saying one thing, but doing another thing or not always, you know, holding, you know, different players or people to a certain level of accountability, the players see that and they see it early. And, and if you lose that, then you're losing their trust and their, and their respect in those areas. And, and, um, so you, you gotta be yourself and, you know, um, find a way to, um, you know, help your guys with being who you are. And, and if you change that and you try to be something that you're not, it, it will never work for you, at least in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, 
we I got to touch on uh, we're getting we're getting close on time here. It's always the way it goes. But I mean, t- two time Stanley Cup champion, like t- t- two thousand one with Colorado. Um, like you said, you had a short time there, and you didn't play any any um, playoff games. Uh, were you on the black? You were a black ace that year, I, I assume, traveling with them. Uh, so I was on the regular roster the whole season. I was traded uh, from Carolina in, at the draft, and then I got traded again in the summer. But I played the whole season in in Denver and um, just ended up being the odd man out for one reason or another and and um there for the whole thing and practice so wasn't a black ace but i didn't uh didn't play any games that year yeah oh okay so you were at you were whatever normal practice player but just didn't get in the in the roster yeah what did that mean for far as your name on the cup is your name on the cup in that in that scenario Yep, on there. Um, so I, I think I played 40-something games there. And I think it comes down to ownership or general managers. They make those decisions when it comes down to it. And um, But I was there the whole season and a part of it from training camp to the end. And um, wasn't necessarily the way I envisioned it going. Um, I know this, that when I was traded, I remember really good friends with Adam Denmarsh, who was already there and, and um, who you would know obviously very well. Um, and I remember going thinking I'm going to win a Stanley cup when that trade happened. And I told my family that like the second after I was traded and, and we did, and, you know, I would have loved to have been more a part of it, but I take some valuable lessons out of that. And, and, um, it was a tough year for me, but it was an incredible year at the same time. I learned a ton as a, as a player and, and probably more importantly, as a person. That was the, that was when you guys beat Florida in four, right? No, that's, that's 96. We were oh, Jersey. Right. 96. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 96. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So then, so that one is, is it must've been really special then like in the fast forward four years, now you're in Tampa. Now you play 20 games. Now you're, I mean, you're a part of that grind, the physical grind, the mental grind on, on the daily and you get to hoist that cup um, with sweat on your brow. Like how uh, describe that, that, that feeling and what that whole team was all about and how you guys came together that year. Yeah, um, you know, that was a, a few year process there that that had taken place with, you know, through the draft and bringing in veteran players like Dave Andrzejczyk, Tim Taylor, but also drafting uh, Marty St. Louis came to our team, Dan Boyle, um, but they drafted LeCavier, Brad Richards. So, uh, you know, bringing in Habi Bulan. So it was, a, it was a process to get there. And I was a part of it for, for a couple of years before we ended up winning. But um you know, I just think at a certain point that the biggest thing for me would be going back to, you know, uh, Tortorella and the culture that was created within that organization and that team. And um, everyone was held to the same standard. So whatever your ability was, you were expected to perform in, in these certain areas. And, and at a certain point during that year, we were fully bought in as a team and it really, you know, took off on its own. And I, we just kind of steamrolled through it there. And um we felt invincible i think and at least that's certainly how it felt for me in every series and every along the step of the way i was like well i I don't see any way you know we were sort of um well they're not they've struggled in montreal in the past or they've struggled on the road against the islanders or they haven't played well against philly like we I don't know that I ever doubted ever at any point during that playoff run that we weren't going to win. And even down, we were down three games to two, had to go to Calgary and win. And and, overtime. uh, Yeah. And uh, I can remember my parents asking me, well, should we book a flight to Calgary to come watch? And I was like, why don't you just stay here for game seven? And and so 
and it wasn't like an arrogance. It was just as like, that's what I, that was my belief in our team and what we were doing that we'd be back for game seven to win. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and, and, and it did happen for us, but I felt like our whole team felt like that. So that's wild. Uh, we, I, I, well, I guess I mostly spoke about Martin St. Louis earlier in the conversation. Any, I mean, you were really a, a first eyewitness account of, you know, maybe not the early days, like when Calgary let him go and said, you'll never play in the NHL, you know, which it's like, I just love that story for so many reasons. Obviously the youngest players listening. I mean, you talked earlier about people telling you that you, you couldn't do something or you would never be something. And, you know, Martin St. Louis went from being somebody that they said they couldn't play in the league to, you know, being the best player in the league, um, yeah. winning the Art Ross trophy, winning the MVP. Like that's just such a crazy, crazy ascension. Um, do, do, and you saw it. Like, what what did you see in those few years that you were there with him to to kind of from where he started to where he ended up? Yeah, well, he ends up in in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> so yeah. he's. Uh, um, I will just say, like him, he was he was such a hard worker, man. Like he just he is so competitive and and wanted to to perform at the highest level at all times, whether it was in practice and. We used to have these little games that we'd play these one-on-one -on -one games. And obviously I was the def on the defending side of it, but we would do it all the time, pre-practice and post-practice. And um, he's just always fine-tuning his game, but he was um, just just an ultra-competitive ultra player and, and uh, was never going to be told no one, you know, whether it was within a game or, or his career path that you, that you spoke of there early. And um, incredible person. Uh, incredible family, just just like a real joy to be around as a player, and and I I'm, I'm feel privileged to to have had the chance to play with him. But he's someone that you want to be around, and uh, whether it was on the ice or off the ice, and and um, you know guys guys wanted to follow his his work ethic and his commitment and his his will, if I, if you if you say. So. Right, I uh, I spoke with Kevin Weeks, who had the had the you know the privilege of of being there with him too for a while, and. And we talked about the mindset side of it. And I mean, we haven't, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with you. Um, it sounded well with Martin and with a lot of players. Uh, I know for me, I never could quite get there myself either, but he spoke, Kevin spoke about Martin, not, he had to get to the point where he believed he could be that player at the NHL. And, and it took him a little while, you know, I mean, to do it for whatever reason. Uh, did you, like, how do you feel about that mindset? And I mean, we talk about the toolkit and like the physical skills of somebody, but that has to be present with the mindset to allow those skills or that player to come out. Um, either as a player or now as a coach, can you speak to mindset and how big of a piece of a puzzle that is for players? Yeah, it, it's huge. And, um, you know, I, I talked about my career sort of as a player and and some of the things that I went through and, and, you know, when I got off track and, and didn't have the right mindset, that's when I had people that were there to correct me and, and help me. And, and I was willing to, to listen to it and um, maybe always didn't like it. But when you're able to sit back and, and, and look at it, whether it's the next day or when you take your skates off or when you walk out of the video room, you realize that, hey, you know, it's not wrong. That, that's right. And I got to I have to embrace that. And um you know, because everybody that gets drafted is a really, really good hockey player, right? He, 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 they really are. And then, but that's just sort of the beginning of, of the journey. And 
getting drafted is one thing and then getting a contract another. And I didn't realize that until I was going through it. I just figured I was drafted. I'm going to get a contract. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I might not get a contract. Like, well, what do you do then? Right. And, and so just the, the, the mental side of the game obviously is, is huge from, from your path and your journey and the process that you're going through as a, as a young player or turning pro, whatever the case is. And then even within games and in between games and, and how you prepare yourself and how you prepare yourself before a game, how you prepare yourself um, shift to shift and, and being able to focus and let go of certain things and, and all of those things. I, 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 I can't um, even <laughs> I have a tough time putting into words how important it is, but um, I think the best athletes in the world are also uh, not just the physical attributes that come along with it, but they have the mental toughness and capacity to, to, um, to take on all those things. And if you don't have that, it, it's a tough go. And, and, um, you know, so it's something that you can continuously work on and improve upon as a, as a, as a person and, and as a player, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, thanks for ending with that. It, it's, 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 there's an intangible, it's tough to make that tangible, I think, right? Because, you know, you're talking about mental toughness and, and everything you're talking about, right? I think mindset is huge for your development, right? If you don't have the right mindset about how you can get better and where the possibilities are or how to do that even and your yeah. approach to that, I mean, that's an issue. If you don't have the right mindset when it comes to dealing with adversity, that's an issue. If you don't have the right mindset when it deal when it comes to how the coach is uh, treating you or what the words are, I mean, that's an issue. So there's so many elements being a pro or being the best at anything, let's just say that, where your head comes in to take precedence over the skill set, the physical uh, skills that you have in your body. But it's hard, and I don't think a lot of players are, especially at the youth level, especially at the junior level, actually working consciously on how to improve these things that we're talking about. Um, when you're at that level now and as a coach, like, do you feel that you have a role in that, like to help them with the mindset side of the game in whatever capacity that might be? I think so. And, and it's, you know, I think a lot of those are just um, individual conversations that you have with players and, and things that you may recognize in a game or in an off day, or it could be a mood in practice, whatever it is. And uh, there's certainly things that you try to be aware of. And, um, you know, I, I want players when I'm talking to players, I just want them if it's in the heat of a game, I just want them to hear what I've said and registered and go, okay, now, now it's time to move on. I don't want them to dwell on, on, you know, I certainly don't want to get into their head too much, certainly in games. So you don't want them to dwell on things, but you want them to be able to, to, to process it and then move on whichever direction, whether it was negative or positive. And, and the players that are good at doing that are, are the ones that you, you see the consistency in their game and, and you watch them go out there and perform night in, night out. Well, they're, they're dialed in from the mental aspect of the game as well. And, and that is really like when you talk about a lot of the things like the physical side, obviously you need the, the physical traits and skills to, to have success at the NHL level. But uh, as much or more importantly, you need the mental skills to, to deal with that adversity and the challenges because you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested on that career path for, for, for certainly for an ice hockey player. You're going to be tested daily um you know not just in games but in in so many different facets of of the game and life and and how you deal with those is um you know will, will certainly uh, could change your path along the way yeah it impacts you big time if they're like just i'm just trying to think of a i mean a hard example 
of how there might be a teaching moment when it comes to a mindset scenario. And and let's just pretend that, you know, whatever, it's a practice or it's a game. There's some scenario, you give some feedback to a player, you watch, maybe it's like right now in the moment that the reaction or the response isn't amazing. Maybe you see afterwards that they're not really retaining it. Is that something that you would maybe go back and revisit? And not from like, I'm in a mad at you standpoint, but from the standpoint of like, hey, I noticed your reaction to this scenario and I don't think it really served you. Like, how, why did you respond that way? What could we do different? Like, how can I help you with that? Is, is that a conversation you might have? Absolutely. And I could think of, you know, um, Sam Gerard here is one of our young defensemen. I had that conversation with him, you know, a few days ago, you know, a reaction that maybe from something I said on the bench that I was surprised by. And, and then we chatted about it the next day at practice. And I, I read it differently than say, he did or, or, you know, so, um, the conversation, I think they're good to happen. And, and, um, you certainly, everyone's going to react to information differently. And, and obviously, you know, if it's negative feedback in the moment, nobody wants to hear that they've done something wrong or, or potentially it was your fault. Um, so, you know, how you, how you relay those message and, and, and recognize how different players handle it and, and whether it's the tone of your voice that you use or, or, or your own body language that, that you're, you know, using when you're making those statements, they all, they all read into all of those things and everybody does. And, and so finding a way to fine tune those from a coaching perspective for each individual is something that, that you have to do from an individual standpoint, but, um, you know, collectively as a team too, um, you know, making sure that they're all sort of at the same hold held to the same standard. Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm just seeing that interaction now because I mean, not everyone deals that way. Like I, meaning that, okay, you're having this conversation potentially to help the player with the reaction, but at the same time, you're soaking up their response to you because you want to know how to better approach them. Like you say, whether it's a tonality sure. of your voice, whether it's yeah. a body language thing, right? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to improve and you're trying to get them to improve. I think that's when it's like a dance. And I think that's when it's really done well, right? That that you, you're not just coming at them saying, I've had it all figured out and this is all on you. Like we're still in this together. Um, we're yeah. both shooting for the same thing and let's grow together. And I think that's, that's appreciated, I think, by the players. I know it would have been appreciated by me. Yeah, I think uh, one of the guys that I, I know that does a fantastic job of that is John Stevens. And I've listened to him present at certain coaches, coaching clinics. And and he talks a lot about some of that stuff that he went through with Drew Doughty. And, and when he was young and, and obviously LA was in their heyday winning Stanley Cups and and sort of um, working through those emotions in a game and what those emotions mean to the rest of your team, to the other team, to people, you know what I mean? So, uh, and how to handle those and, and what the message is that you're delivering to your own teammates based on, on your reaction to something that may have happened from a ref, from your teammates, the other team. And, and so, um, yeah, I think it's all things that can benefit today's athlete and, and uh, try to help them not just get better from a physical standpoint and a skill standpoint, but the mental side of it. And I don't claim to be a, uh, you know, uh, an expert in it, but um, I think, you know, people in general um, can all relate to, to a lot of these things just from a, from a human standpoint. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, you treat people the right way with honesty and, um, you know, people respect you for it. And, and, uh, and I think that's how I've gone about it from, from my standpoint anyhow. Yeah. And I don't think anyone 
it's not about being an expert in my opinion. It's just about being conscious of the fact that it exists. And I think you even being able to say that is, is like an acknowledgement of like, now you're aware of it. And I think the awareness of something allows you now to be a student of it and allows you to at least give it credit. Right. So I think that's a huge step too. Uh, I'll leave you with two questions. Maybe if you, if you have time, Uh, you okay with two more? Um, Yeah, go for it. One, um, one is that, what I just said is the ability to self-assess. It's been a little bit of a hot topic for me because a lot of the stuff that I do with players or with teams that I work with is is trying to develop their self-awareness so they have the ability to self-assess. Um, I yeah. think that I think that it's a valuable tool because if you do know where you're at from an honest, unbiased perspective as well as we can be, now you have information right to be able to do something with. Um, you spoke about comfort zones earlier and, and our, it now pushes our ability to get out of our comfort zones, I think, if we can self-assess. Do you do you hold that in pretty high regard? That was what Ryan Johnson said is like one of the first things he looks for in a player is his ability to do that. And sometimes there's some red flags if they can't because uh, he knows he has to approach players differently. Um, can you speak a little bit about a, a player's ability to self-assess and how valuable that is for them? Yeah, I think it's uh, in my... If I look back as a player, my maybe inability early on to really self-assess kind of where I was at and where I needed to go was, was holding me back a little bit. And, um, and, and, and so as a coach, um, in my coaching career, the ones that are able to self-assess, and I've had conversations with players about the inability to do some of those things and how it will hold you back as a player and, and really as a person, if you, if you, if you can't um, look at yourself honestly and be okay saying, Hey, I wasn't good enough here, or that wasn't good enough there. You're, you're going to, you're going to struggle to, to grow. Um, so certainly things that like, I, I just always, and it's easy to say, but you know, the guys that are, the guys that are more accepting of, of certain aspects of coaching are usually very good at being able to self-assess. And, and so, and I think if you took like self-assessment, at least in my world here in coaching, if you, if you really looked at it as it's not, it's not about the one single moment right now, it's about, it's about more than that. And, and so looking at it in a broader sense of, of the process and the, and the whole path and the whole, career arc that you're on, you know, self-assessing yourself and being able to say, God, I was brutal tonight. It doesn't, doesn't really matter that you were so bad tonight. It's, it's, it's about, you know, when you look back on it, okay, well, how do I correct that? And, and, and so being able to admit that, Hey, I wasn't at my best or I didn't do my best job, whether that's coaching and I've, you know, certainly made decisions for instance, on the penalty kill that I would, look back on and go, God, that was, that was, a, that was a mistake. And, um, right. you know, we go through it, we give up three goals on the penalty kill and it's like, that's on me tonight. And, and so, but being able to, I think it allows you to grow, being able to just say, Hey, listen, I'm, you can be honest with yourself um, and, and be able to accept that it's not going to be perfect every night or every day and, and being able to accept that. And then how do you grow from that? And how do you, how do you um, take another step as a player or a person is, is huge. And I wouldn't disagree with RJ at all in that statement. And um, because at the end of the day, you're just being honest with yourself if that's yeah. what you're doing. Right. And if you fail to do that, then it's tough to, it's tough to improve. Yeah. And while, and I, I'll just uh, follow that up with, we've all had players and maybe, you know, I mean, our, we can even look at ourselves as individuals, but some guys, 
some guys, when they turn that lens on themselves, are overly critical, right? And some yeah. guys are also overly positive. So, like, it's okay to celebrate successes because I think a lot of guys that do get to higher levels are generally pretty hard on themselves. I mean, they, they just are. We're sort of wired that way. And sometimes you need, whether it's as a coach or a leader or as some type of, you know, influencer in these people's lives to be like, you know what? You did a lot of things well too, though. Like, let's be honest here, yeah. right? Like, let's not just focus on, on the negative. And then there's some guys that think everything is roses and you have to be like a little bit more, well, no, buddy, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't maybe as great as you think it was tonight. So I think it works. That does work both ways. That self-assessment, I guess, side of it is all I'm saying with that. Yeah, no. And I would, uh, and I didn't mean to put a negative spin on that. That, that would be both ways absolutely and and you have to be able to recognize as a coach when it when it is a good night i think you need to reinforce those things and why and how and what did you do today that made you better tonight and 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 why were you so good tonight so being able to self assess assess on both sides is is critical to success yes yeah that's cool. you know what just came to mind and i'm sorry i'm going on a tangent here but you catch them catch them when they're good just came to mind and i think that's a little bit maybe of a new philosophy in coaching too because it was always catch them when they're bad and remind people when they're bad back in the day like do you do you have that more of a coaching philosophy now is like to remind guys when they've done stuff well and acknowledge that success yeah, I think so. I think um, like when I think of if I was to sit down with you and do do a video session from last night's game, we'll sit down and, you know, I'll cut out kind of all the fluff in your game and just kind of dial it into certain areas of your game. And, and um, I go through that approach with I show the good and the bad throughout the whole game and I'll, and I'll try to just kind of do it in order of the game happens. So I'm at the same time, I'm showing you where you were having success one night. I'll show you hey this is where you were struggling and this is why so i try to do i try to do both at all times and um i think players need to need to see you you know when you're playing well and you feel good and and you're feeling confident and the game just kind of comes a little easier for you at whatever level it is when that confidence is there for you and, and how do you find a way to continuously find that level of confidence so i think it's important for them to to see the areas that they're having success and and the areas that they need to to improve upon all right. My last question is just on preparation. And it's it's such a, and I want to ask you just because it's such an important piece of what I do with the teams that I work with and with the players that I work with is just, uh, I, I call it becoming consciously competent, right? Whether it's for the team or whether it's for the player. So to understand why you are good when you're good. So it's not just like it happens, right? And I think yeah. preparation is, is a big part of that. I think it, like their approach and finding out like from a body and from a mind standpoint, what do you need to do to be at the best of your ability. When when you were a player, I mean, it was, I think it was like, uh, it was something that was happening while we were going through it as far as like what that preparation process looked like for people. I don't think it was like a real science like it is now. Um, can you describe when you were playing your best what your preparations uh, looked like and maybe maybe contrast that with with some of the players in your team now or what it would look like for uh, for, let's say, a more modern day athlete, what guys are doing? Yeah, I think the, the, you know, if I look back on my career, there's, there's certain aspects, not just like preparation before a game, but preparation throughout an off season that I would have liked to have done better when I look back and then investing in my body and, and even the mental side of, of, of the game for me, I feel like I could have done more to help myself and maybe prolong my career. Maybe I would have been the same player, but I, feel like I could have prolonged my career if I took certain areas and and tried to improve upon them and um, you know today's player in today's game they are they are fi finely tuned athletes and and um, certainly ahead of 
the where me and that's not a knock on on players in my era because they they certainly were uh incredible athletes well but today's athlete seems even more tuned in than than you know 25 years ago obviously and um so they they're they're so well prepared and so well focused in on on what they need to do and um probably getting off topic here was it from a physical standpoint or you mentally or well i mean I, I think the one that eludes people most is more the mental side. I think, especially yeah. from a young player, like I think guys understand they need to get their rest. I think they understand that they need to put some food in their body. But I think, I think sometimes the ball gets dropped on that, how to have your mind ready for either the competition that's coming, uh, the competitive level you need to get to the intensity, or even not to be thinking on the ice, right. To prepare your mind, to know the systems, like whatever that process is like, uh, maybe you could speak more on that if you don't mind. Yeah, I think, um, you know, individually, I think they all, everybody handles it differently and, and your preparation and uh, what you do to get ready for those games. And, um, you know, I was a creature of habit and, and I like to do things in the same order. I don't consider myself superstitious by any means, but I had an order and a process to get ready for, for games. And um, whether that was, and I still do now as a coach, I do, I do all my stuff kind of in the same sort of order to get prepared and um, you know, you watch our players have routines that they go through. They have, you know, their arrival times and their, their, their prep that they start with during the games. And it, and that really starts the night before with how they handle themselves and what they do. And so that they, when they wake up, they are feeling fresh and they're ready to go. And then, um, I think, you know, a term that maybe is used too loosely, but sticking to the process, whether it's individually or collectively as a team, but being able to know what, what the end goal is for this season and uh, are things that help our guys stay focused night in, night out, or week to week and month to month throughout our season. So um, the preparation never sort of stops for them, I don't think. And, right. and um, you know, being... Uh, knowing what our goals are collectively is, is, I think, been a big thing for us as a team to keep us focused and keep us, you know, pointed in the right direction. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I got the, I got my shirt on. I don't know if you can see it, but I say greatness is a decision. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, that's kind of part of preparation too. I shouldn't say kind of it is, you know, because I think that there are a lot of choices that do get made uh, between the the whistles and the puck drop, you know, on on the ice that are going to help you either from a collective organizational standpoint or from an individual standpoint to be, you know, your, your greatest to, to step into that greatness. And, and, and you mentioned process, which is another interesting thing because when I'm talking, when I'm working with young players and, and, you know, probably not at your level guys coming up, but I'm like, if you, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so like if you're not touching on something to do with your mind, if you're not touching on some type of visualization before a game, if you're just showing up and thinking this is going to work out well for you, you don't really know what you're doing yet. And and that's OK, because we can figure it out. But you do need to have some type of process because there's a decision there to, to be your best. And there's and there's a there's a habits that are going to go along with that. Yeah. And, and listen, when you're young, it, it's tough because you as a kid, you just I play mini sticks in the hallway and then go play. Right. But yeah. You know, it, you, you begin to recognize, you know, what you maybe were doing or what you were thinking before you enter those games and uh, or those trips. And, um, you know, as you get older, you, you need to be able to, as you said, self-assess and, and recognize 
why you had success and how you're going to have success moving forward. And, um, you know, it's something that I, as you continue to get a year older, I think you continue to, to recognize those things a little bit easier than, than when you're younger. Yeah, no, I mean, maturity, uh, for sure. And I, I think that doesn't get touched on enough in the mainstream media. Like, you know, you have a Bowen Byram there where I've mentioned already. And a lot of the guys in your team, I mean, just cause Nathan McKinnon, uh, well, he's 25, I think. Is that what he is now? 25? Yeah, so, I mean, he, might, he might still be 24, but yeah. So, but it's yeah. crazy, right? Because we, we've yeah. known him for so long. We forget that. Yeah. I mean, this is still a 24, 25-year-old you know, man, right? Like, yeah. and, and we don't get enough credit to the emotional maturity that is required, you know, and that we all just don't have, inherently don't have just because of our age. Just because they're amazing athletes doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden 35-year-old men you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of a learning process there and uh, you know, and it's good. I think going back to your, maybe that's a good way to close, like going back to the idea of being coachable and being humble enough within this, uh, within this facility that they have, you know, that is so talented to remain humble enough to be coachable and know that they haven't all quite figured it out yet. I know I was victim of that. You know, when things go well for you and you're a talented kid and you're doing these things, like, there's no reason to really think you don't have it figured out because it's always yeah. been going so well. Right. But I yeah, think that's, yeah. that's who, who you are surrounded with. I think that's, that's the message, you know, from your coaches and everyone to keep that grounded um, ability to be humble, have the humility to be able to know that you need to grow and, uh, and just grow within the game. And, and I know that that's something that makes you light up inside because I've, I've read some of the stuff that you mean, seeing these guys develop, seeing these guys, you know, go on to pro careers and establish themselves is, is such a thing that you can have so much pride about. Cause it's a, it's, you know, you're part of that journey. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And I, I think, um, yeah, it, it's one of the most fun things that I do is, is being a part of these guys that are, they're young, you know what I mean? And, and our team, we have a young team and, and some of them are, you know, Byram's closer to my daughter's age than he is to mine. And, and so you got to keep that in mind uh, when you work with these guys. And, um, you know, it's a young man's game. It's turning into one. And, and so, um, yeah, you try to help them along the way. And I take a lot of pride in, in trying to be a part of that journey. And, uh, enjoy their successes, but also enjoy, enjoy, not enjoy, but, but be there when it's not, when it's not perfect yeah. either. So. No, well, thanks so much. We'll wrap up here. Um, my God, I mean, I could ask you questions for, for all day. We just need to get six pack of beer and we'd be just fine. But, yeah. um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a great way to end. Uh, I know that you're doing a ton of great stuff there. You and Betsy, um, what an amazing thing to be a part of that you're on right now. I know you guys are all excited every game. We got to get back to playing, but I know that every, yeah. this season had high expectations just as last and you, it's nice because you know, when you're in that, window that building point where you know this thing is happening it's coming together and you don't get that opportunity all the time so uh yeah. it's fun to watch man i really appreciate you sharing your lessons with with uh with my listeners today on this platform and all the all the nuggets and all the insight from being a player and making it happen and also now helping guys um become their best is much appreciated prater so thanks so much yeah well i appreciate you reaching out so we haven't chatted for a while but um it was great it was good fun so uh, almost as much fun as our Bantam days there when we were tearing it up. So, but yeah. it's crazy when you think back on that team, how, how talented it was for, for such a young age and, and, uh, what, what some guys did after the fact, but, um, Anyway, totally. ultimately, ultimately, it was a ton of fun. So it's yeah, still no. today. Yeah, well, yeah. thanks again. And like, it's one of the best parts of doing what I'm doing now is because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking to guys that either had a relationship in the past, have an ability to catch up and kind of revisit it in a way that uh, yeah. to me is like, so fills me up. Like, I love these conversations because it's, uh, 
it's better than doing it in a bar somewhere or whatever, right? Have real conversations about real things. It, uh, it, it serves my soul. And I always leave these conversations feeling jacked up. So thanks so much for sharing today. It's awesome. All right, man. I, I had fun. So Okay. Um, I'll let you, uh, well, we'll just conclude here. Thanks so much. This is Nolan Pratt, assistant coach of the Colorado Avalanche uh, for episode 52. Thanks for everyone tuning in today, whether you're on uh, YouTube or whether you're on Facebook or whether you're just listening this uh, afterwards on on whatever podcast streaming uh, device of your choice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and until uh, next time, uh, we'll see you there. Well, another amazing conversation. I was jacked up after that one. It's so good to see some of these old friends of mine, these old faces. Uh, well, they're not old faces, uh, old meaning uh, not old looking, but uh, from the past, right? These faces from the past that I've either played with uh, or have had the pleasure of, of playing for in some cases. And in this scenario, I played with Nolan, obviously, back in, in our in our Sherwood Park days and then played against him for four tough years and when he was with Portland and then sometimes in the minors. And then, uh, you know, it's been 20 years almost since we probably had a, a full-time discussion. So he was gracious enough to spend his time with us to share his insights, to share his lessons and his stories. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be... I couldn't be more grateful for that. Without guys like Nolan stepping in here and dedicating their time to us and to this program, all of these golden nuggets of information um, would be inside Nolan right now and we wouldn't know any of them. So um, so thank you, Pratter, for coming out here and, and sharing. And boy, you're, you got such an exciting team to watch. You got such a awesome environment to be in. You know, past guest, uh, Jared Bedner there le- leading the ship. Bedsy, uh, you you couldn't you couldn't ask for a better head coach to, to work with, I know, and uh, and those players have an awesome coaching staff to to work for and to and to play for. So they got it going right there. Um, how to build a culture, how to keep people accountable, how to keep people, you know, engaged and buying in. Uh, these are all key key components for coaches. And also, if you're a player listening, like listen to what a coach is trying to do. I think understanding the other side of the game, if you can be curious about that, be a student of the game and how coaches, what coaches are trying to do, it allows you to do what you do better um, and to be able to be more coachable and be able to buy in uh, better and to be make you a, a more... Uh, a bigger asset within that dressing room, right? Coaches want to trust players. And when you can build that trust with coaches, uh, you're doing yourself a favor and you're going to increase your, your opportunity and your longevity within the sport. So uh, anytime you have a chance to listen to a coach, especially at that level, uh, speak so candidly about some amazing things like culture and accountability and, um, you know, and dedication and commitment, uh, you know, your ears should perk up and you should be soaking it up like a sponge. So uh, another great episode. I appreciate everyone being here today. Um, And until next week, as always, play hard and keep your head up.